Hello and welcome everybody to episode 62 of the Cadaver Lab podcast. I'm Mike and with me as always is Johnny. What's up my man? What's up brother man? Oh that that was weird. I, I don't really know how to answer that question. <laughs> hey I tried to throw you for a curve there. Throw me for a curve? Throw you for a loop. I don't know. Uh, I, there's only one curve on me and you can do it any you, I'll let you throw it anytime. <laughs> that, I'm sorry that was like a totally terrible bent wiener joke but anyway. See I was going for gut. Oh, you said yeah. curve, and I was thinking, I was thinking of a gut. I wasn't saying uh, anything about you, just thinking gut. <laughs> oh man, come on now. No, I'm just teasing. Um, so uh, how you been, man? Uh, I've been busy as hell, man. It's just, oh god, just bogged down. Well, that's that's good, man. This this Argento episode, it has been our hardest episode to put together. <laughs> well, just because like, of of uh, scheduling, scheduling, and. You know, you know what the funny thing is, is uh, you know we chose three Argento movies that I had never seen before, um, and uh, they all turned out to be giallos. Oh, I love it! Isn't that you know what? So, so can I propose a na- an official name for it? What's that? Argental and his gaggle of giallos. <laughs> Did you say argenital? Uh, ar- no, I didn't. Uh, argenitals. Ar- genitals and his gaggle of giallos. <laughs> Hey, you really should name it that. Well, when they are genitals, are genitals. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's sweet, man. That's paying respect to the director. That's right. Oh, uh, you know, I'm glad you've been busy. You know, Idle Hands, Devil's Workshop, that whole deal. You know, probably, well, you know, probably didn't uh, have enough time to touch yourself a lot, right? You uh, know, I know you're trying to get help for that and you know, all that stuff. So, is it just me, or are we starting off really extra dirty? Hey, that's cool, man. All right. All right. That's, that, that's extra for the uh, drinking game. <laughs> Every time oh, you hear the word genital or, or like masturbation reference, take a drink. You know what was funny? If we were to actually play our drinking game as we recorded, we'd both be passed out in like 20 minutes. Yeah, we wouldn't have an episode. No, and, and in those 20 minutes, that's, that's like 14 uh, one-minute breaks for piss breaks because uh, – <laughs> Because uh, you know uh, Johnny gets uh, you know a half a half a beer in him, and it's like, oh my gosh, I gotta pee, dude. Just because I have the bladder of a meerkat doesn't mean you gotta make fun of me. Why'd you have to, <laughs> why'd you have to choose choose a meerkat? Are they known for their small bladders? No, I just picked a random animal. Well, you know what? I, I I'm gonna have to look into the uh, the size and the habits of the meerkat and its urination process. <laughs> We're going to come back with statistics in a little bit. Yes, we will. Uh oh, okay. So, I've got a lot of stuff to go through. Not a lot of stuff. I mean, it's what well, it's been almost it's been 3 weeks or whatever since we recorded last. Um, but uh there's a lot of stuff that uh, I just wanted to mention real quick and we'll get through this real quick, I promise. Um number 1, uh, the 27th, if you're in Salt Lake City Summer's Dead Festival, be there, Burt's Tiki Lounge. Uh, we're going to have free uh, barbecue, free food, free beer, and lots of music. It's actually not free because you have to get in for 10 bucks. But once you get in for 10 bucks, you're set. Yeah, okay. 10 bucks is nothing. No way. That's awesome. So 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 be there. You know, it, it, It's going to be kick-ass. Uh, Die Monster Die, of course, is uh, putting this on for us. Um, also, uh, for the Salty Horror Film Festival, September 10th is the final deadline to get your films in. 
for the Salty, uh, Salty Horror Film Festival. Basically, it, it starts on November 4th, so that'll give us almost a month to go through there and get everything set up. Um, also, speaking of film festivals, Bone Bat Film Festival, Thursday, September 2nd. Uh, that That is at 6 p.m. They're at the Big Picture Theater in Redmond, Washington. Go to bonehand.com for more information. Holy crap, do I do I sound like a PA in a, or, a, or like a... Like a like a, one of those guys on like old time radio who like <laughs> you're like this Sunday at the monster at the monster truck arena. All right, I, okay, and and that's really all I wanted to talk about. I just want to make sure that uh, that everybody knows about those things. And if you're in the Salt Lake or the Seattle area, there you go. All right, I'm done. That's cool. <laughs> oh yeah, awesome, and, and go to the Corpse Collective too. CorpseCollective.com. Hell yeah, it's awesome. If we could get Johnny to actually write something for it. You didn't get it? I, I wrote a few articles and sent it over. Shut up. I did. You lost that shit? That's Appar- rude. <laughs> yeah, apparently I lost it, dude. Damn it. <laughs> hey, I got to be in, I got to film a movie with uh, Chris from Cinema Corpse. Oh, kick ass, man. It is a, um, a docu-horror, and I play a podcaster who may have a dark secret. Wait a second. Is it masturbation? Because if it is, then um, you're just playing yourself, dude. Dude, if that shit got leaked to the internet already. <laughs> no. <laughs> it, it was awesome, man. It was fun. He, uh, Chris from Cinema Corpse, is, he's awesome, man. Uh, he's doing the series called Traces of Fear. And, God, I, I think that's the name. I really hope it is. Um, it, he's He's got tons of episode ideas, tons of other directors and people with stories that are coming together to make the series happen. And Oh, man, it's so exciting, man. We spent... All Saturday and Sunday filming, and oh, it was a blast. I mean, I got covered in fake blood, and I gained a lot of respect for um, Sissy Spacek, who played Carrie. Oh because, yeah, you know she got she got drenched in that that corn syrup and oh yeah food coloring. Yeah, I had about half, not even half, probably like a quarter of that on me, and I was like, ew. <laughs> what were you like? Ew. <laughs> I had to, dude, I had to drive <laughs> home like I had to drive home like twenty minutes with this shit all over me. Oh, are you serious? Oh yeah, the whole way home I was like, "Don't get pulled over." It's like three in the mo- two in the morning. I was like, "Don't get pulled over. Don't get dude, pulled over." Chris is an award-winning filmmaker. Who he he is, dude. He uh, he did a documentary, um, and uh, it, he actually have a copy of it. He'll send people. I a do copy too. I've, free, I've I seen believe. it. It was actually really good. I can't. I, the name escapes me right now, though. Damn it! Sorry, Chris. It was um, it's some. Oh, I think can't. It's something, but not forgotten. Uh, because yeah, it was. It had something to do with two small people. Yeah, who were um, who had a hard life, but grew up to be uh, Christian rappers. Christian rappers? Did you not watch the documentary? No, I was just thinking to myself, I want to be a Christian rapper. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I thought you were a Christian rapper. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> we, we, Johnny and I were talking before the uh, before the show, and the only rap I ever really listened to ever was Criss Cross. <laughs> crisscross. Yeah, Mike went through a phase where he wore his Oshkosh backwards. Well, and the problem is, is uh, it was at a time when my uh, hormones were especially active, and so I actually busted out the back of my pants because I kept getting <laughs> erections. Problem is, when I wore them, when I wore them right side, all of a sudden there was like a big flap right where my butthole is, because it's like so everybody took that as an invitation, and I just had a lot of butt sex. <laughs> well, you also had the. <laughs> I can't follow that. <laughs> I was gonna go somewhere, but you you made me laugh too hard. <laughs> oh, remember we apparently okay. Well, apparently we made the offer for butt sex a while ago. 
And I can't I can't remember exactly what it was, but uh, it was yep. during the anthology episode. And we got it. We got a pretty funny uh, voicemail for it. Oh, awesome! <laughs> so yeah, we're uh, we definitely have to get into that. Um, also, you know what we got? Um, we got, uh, and this is totally funny. During the uh, um, Phantasm retrospective that we did, just out of nowhere, in the in the middle of the thing, because I was lazy, I said, "Oh, okay, you know what? Mate, just come up with come up with who else said that, you know." And uh, I honestly didn't think anybody would even really mention because it's right in the middle. There, you know, there was nothing, no warning or whatever. But we got we got a few entries for that, man. Oh, awesome! You know, we, you want to you want to go over those right now? Yeah, let's go ahead and do it. Okay, the first one came in e- email. It was a guy named Ed. Um, okay, so here here was a line. Let's get the tools and scope it out. And uh, his first one, or his uh, his answer for that one was Doctor Godfrey about to examine Don O'Keefe's vagina in the movie Teeth. <laughs> now points have to go to him for using the vagina. Is like I asked for. Okay, Dentata. Uh, sick. Second, you think that when you go die, you go to heaven? You come to us. That was a cruise director, Suzanne Zimmerman, or Stacy Travis, in The Love Boat, The Next Wave. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> oh, and last love one. Love Boat reference. And, oh, and the third one, come on, you mother. That was Edley, uh, sorry, Ellen Ripley about to fight the queen in the TBS dubbed version of Aliens. And I actually think that one's a pretty good one. That one's probably actually true. <laughs> oh, that, that was someone. All right, uh, we got a couple. We got a couple other uh, entries there in uh, audio format. So let's uh, let's go ahead and play those. Out. All right, sweet. Hey, Cadaver Lab, it's Ed from up, upstate New York. Uh, just listening to the bonus episode on Phantasm, uh, and I've got the three. Who else said that? And hopefully, I'm one of the first people to respond. I'm sure I'm probably not, but I would just be so psyched to win anything from anyone, anywhere, uh, no matter how small the prize. So the first one, let's get the tools and scope it out. That was actually Lauren Michaels to Betty White at the Saturday Night Live after party when they were both a little drunk and a little horny. Uh, Come on, you mother. That was Kate Goslin's dancing with the stars coach uh, when she was tired and wanted to quit. And the last one, you think you, when you go, uh, yeah, you think when you die you go to heaven? You come to us. Uh, that was actually Tom Cruise to Matt Lauer during that uh, infamous interview where Tom was quite animated and espousing the virtues of Scientology. Uh, so hopefully I'm one of the first to respond. I'm sure I'm probably not. That's the kind of luck I have. Uh, but if so, uh, let, let me know by email, or I can email you and give you my address for those prizes. Okay. Dude, that guy wanted some prizes. Okay, that was funny, but let me go ahead and point out something right away. Okay. He's, he said he wa- he was just wanting to win something, anything, and Regardless then he said, how you know, however small, which automatically indicates that he's wanting butt sex from us. Um. Well, I think, yeah, I think he actually wants us to give it to him because he mentioned how small. See? <laughs> so, yeah. No, okay. That's your prize. <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. Uh, we got one more entry. Let's listen to it real quick. Sweet. My lords, Lord Bloodraw here, unable to resist the temptation to throw my two cents down on your who else said that for Phantasm 2. Now, let's see. Uh, let's get the tools and scope it out. That is, of course, Andy Dick's proctologist going treasure hunting for any lost wristwatches or rings that may have uh, <clears throat> found their way there. 
Um, let's see. I believe the next line is, come on, you mother. Now, that is either what Sarah Palin shrieks while hunting wolves from her helicopter, or come on, you mother is Mel Gibson's favorite pickup line. I believe it's the second one, I think. And uh, you think that when you die, you go to heaven. You come to us. That is, a, is a, take two. That is, of course, the foreman at the Jimmy Dean Sausage Factory, I believe. And in lieu of any DVDs, not that I deserve them for any of what I just said, I would like to take this moment to tell all of your listeners to please come to www.youtube.com slash LordBloodDraw to hear my monthly show, Lord Blood Draws Tremulous Trailers, where I play some of the most brain-blowing horror and science fiction trailers ever to assault your cerebellum. I thank you for the show. You know, actually, your show takes up a good part of my day. It has to. They run seven, eight hours, so that's, that's my day usually. After that, I'm just ready for bed. Anyway, I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for letting me put my two cents down on who else said that, and I think this would be a great segment. You should open up uh, maybe one or two lines to uh, your listening community to do this once a show. It's very fun. I thank you, and as always, geek out. Dude. I just want to say that Lord Blood Raw is like one of my favorite horror entertainers of all time. That dude, oh, just he's so awesome. Dude is awesome. He actually makes Drunken Zombie worth listening to. <laughs> That's awesome. His his show on YouTube, uh, the Tremulous Trailers, oh, is it. awesome, man. Just I love his stuff. Oh yeah, that guy. You know what? He's awesome. And you know what? Um, even though you said you didn't want DVDs, to, to everybody, send me your uh, your uh, addresses, and I will send you out a prize package. I actually have quite a few DVDs. We got some comics giveaway, and also we have some of uh, Lakewood Memorial. Uh, books to uh, uh, buy uh, Robert R. Best to give away still. Uh, in fact, this episode, I did a short interview with uh, Robert R. Best talking about Ashton Memorial, which is up, his upcoming novel. And uh, so, yeah, we'll give some of those away too. But uh, yeah, send, send your, uh, all three of you, send your uh, addresses to me if you haven't already. Yeah, Robert, Robert R. Best is another badass too. Oh, he, yeah, he's, he's a pretty funny guy, man. I like that guy. Um, you know, it's it's funny. I'm I'm actually I'm just tickled that we got some uh, entries anyway. Because I honestly, I was just trying to come up with something to make my laziness kind of, uh, kind of, uh, you know, not seem so lazy. You know, and and that's a good idea. Like I really like that he would, you know, that we should start doing that once a show. I, and I have a couple ones on here that, although I have, who else said that? I would like to hear what other people come up with. All right, let's do it. Let's so do that. um, that's so a great we, idea. We, when we get to that, I mean, you know, because I like hearing from people and and. You know, it, it's cool. It, like you said, it, it opens up a line to the to the listeners. Sweet action, man. Awesome. That's Thanks awesome. for the idea, man. Yeah. Hey, uh, so uh, do you have anything else? Or I was thinking maybe we get into some ear fair, then do some voicemails. Yeah, it's cool, man. Let's do that. Greetings, Mike. Hello, Cadaver Lavanites. This is Shane Diablo with another tasty bit of ear fear for you. I have three awesome bands tonight. Hope you like them. Um, first up, Mim Vind from Vancouver, Canada. This guy is amazing. He just released an album called The Stillness Illness. And 
And uh, this, all the songs you're going to hear off this album is from Fashion of Fear. So check this out. This is Nim Bend. records, of course, and uh, Balzac kicks ass.
show. Fronted by a sexy girl named Miss Behave. I'm gonna love that. Spook show, man. They are awesome from Sweden. like what you heard you heard Nim Vind from the album Fashion of Fear you can find Nim Vind at N-I-M-B-I-N-D dot com Nim dot com you heard Balzac from Osaka Japan now for the American website you want to go to Balzac that's with a Z 308 dot com and you heard The Spook Show I'm not even sure if they're around anymore. You 
might want to check myspace.com slash the spook show to find out where you can get that album. Hope you enjoyed yourself. That's it for me. Bye bye. And Mike, you're squeezing my boomstick. Lucky enough, in the studio tonight, we have Robert R. Best. What's up, my man? Oh, I'm doing okay. Funnily enough, though, the studio looks a lot like the computer room in my house. This is very convenient see, for me. See, you got to realize something. Yeah? Not only not only can I see you right now. Oh, God. But I am there. <laughs> that's, how, that's how we work at the Cadaver Lab, man. We're, really? We in, not only are we in your ears, but we're taking over your, your personal space. One day... Well, you'll you'll catch us, you know, in the corner of your eye. Uh huh. Because then... we all run around like a wild pack. <laughs> and you look over there, and you're gone. <laughs> That's right, man. Okay. We, and trust me, we are some scary dudes. I know. I've seen the pictures. Uh, all right. So I don't have to. I don't yeah, have don't, to uh, don't say me. anything more. It's okay. Great. Awesome. So, man, you have a new book. Yes, um, Ashton Memorial, the sequel to Lakewood Memorial, which came out last year. And Ashton just came out the end of July. So anyone so, who's read Lakewood or would just like a good zombie book in general um, should check it out. So th- I assume this is another through another book through the Library of the Living Dead and Dr. Yes. Buck? Uh-huh, yes, it is. That's great. Um, God, that guy's awesome. Yes, he is, and um, his press is fantastic, and he's always looking for new new writers. I'd highly recommend anyone with a book that they that would fit into the zombie or horror genre to check him out, because they've got a great thing going over there. Yeah, that, that guy has, has got to be one of the hardest-working dudes. Oh, I know. It's that, insane. Uh, yeah. I mean, I always hear about him doing this and that. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, so what do you mean it's out in uh, out since July? I mean, where where uh, uh, can people where can people snatch it up? People can now get it on Amazon, and I just learned there's a Kindle version out now. So if you have a a Kindle, you can read it on there. Oh, awesome, man! So just search for Ashton Memorial on Amazon, or if you want, I've got all the links on my main website, which is just uh, robertrbest.com. Simple. Right. There you go, man. And by the way, right now there's a crazy zombie kitty. Yes, there is. On on his website. I, you know, I, I even asked him, because I, I don't know what this fascination with, with cats are with, like, you know, people, period. But apparently I just don't get it, and you know what? That's okay. Hey, cats you know, are fine. Cats and dogs and all animals are fine. I have two cats. Oh, isn't that just the, the most precious thing I ever heard? Yes, it is. <laughs> I, I'm just teasing it. <laughs> Hey, so um, why don't you tell us a little bit about the book? Uh, well, um, it follows Lakewood Memorial, which is a zombie book. Um, so Lakewood kind of covers the events of the first night of the zombie outbreak in a small town. Ashton Memorial follows the um, adventures of the people who survived Lakewood, which I don't know how much I really want to give away. Although if you just read read the description online, it gives the names of the characters, so by that kind of kind of gives away who survives Lakewood, but that's all right. Um, basically, one of the characters has family that lives in a town called Ashton, and they travel there, and they end up at the zoo, which is what Ashton Memorial is. It's the name of the zoo. And um, things go downhill from there. The way I've been describing it to people is it's kind of like Lord of the Flies in a zoo with zombies. 
Lord of the Flies in a zoo with yeah. zombies. Yes, because the people who are kind of trapped within the zoo kind of mm-hmm. over a period of time kind of start to form tribes and groups and kind of get all weird and violent and it goes down real fast. And then you throw zombies and tigers into the mix. Yes. And it all goes to hell. <laughs> right. Awesome, man. So, um, so it just starts right. I mean, if if anybody who's read Lakewood knows that this just start. I mean, this starts right immediately right after. Right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the idea was to do kind of a ha- ha- Halloween two kind of thing. The original mm-hmm. Halloween two, um, where it just starts <laughs> immediately afterwards. Yeah. You know, I hate that I have to say that every time now. Whenever All I mention right. either of those, but anyway, um. It starts immediately afterwards. I don't know if it's necessarily... um, If you haven't read Lakewood and you're interested in Ashton, I think you can follow what's going on in Ashton without having read Lakewood. Um, I agree, except for I do think that in Lakewood there's a lot of um, character development that uh, that you don't really... I mean, you're right. I mean, you you, you can assume a lot of things... uh, you know, in Ashton. However, you know, if you want to know kind of what what's been happening, what's going on, what they've had to get through, through in order to be where they are, right? You know, it plus plus Lakewood's a great book. Well, so oh, thank you. Anyway. Yes. So yeah, and I think Amazon has just now fi- figured out that the two books kind of go together, and they're offering a combo deal where you can buy both for like thirty one dollars or something. At least that's what it's showing here. So. Oh, cool. Awesome, man. Yeah, so everyone check that out. So, um, in writing this, uh, do you see a trilogy or anything like that, or what's the plan? Well, yes, yeah, yeah, there is going to be one more. I'm going to try to time it where it comes out roughly the same time last, or next year. Uh, Mm -hmm. Lakewood came out late summer of last year, so this book late summer this year, so I'm going to aim for the same time next year. So we'll have all three. It's a trilogy. Um, Ashton gets kind of deeper into the mythology of what's going on with uh, the zombies and why they're rising. Kind of starts to hint at things, and all that will really? be resolved in, in the third book. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, you know, what's funny is I remember last time we had you on the show. I mentioned, mm-hmm. I said, I can't remember exactly what I said, but I said something like, "So we get, we are we going to end up understanding why." Um, yes, the zombie apocalypse, and it, it's funny because that's that uh, started off a little bit of a of an argument uh, in the Cadaver Lab forums, and, and right? Like yes, that, whether it's better to know or better not to know, and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I you know personally, I I I like to. I mean, if it's a good backstory, I really want to know, and it, you know, if it's a creepy type of deal. Yeah. But so. you know, I can, I can, I can understand people who don't want, you know, because I mean, mm-hmm. not everything in life is uh, laid out so nicely. Yeah. No. No. And I, I can understand both too. That's just kind of the way this book start, started to go, um, mm-hmm. with um, actually opening up the mythology of the book, and so mm-hmm. it's gonna go, go there. But I completely understand the other view too. Hmm. So. Well, you know, either way, I mean, uh, the, the books are definitely entertaining. So well, thank are, you. are you, man, you're, th- thank you, yeah. because well. I've gotten two, I've gotten free copies of it. <laughs> so, oh, well. So, 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 you know, it's been awesome. Yes. <laughs> um, so are you in the middle of reading, uh, sorry, of writing your final book? Um, I've started outlining and taking notes, which that generally mm-hmm. takes a few months. I try to get it into at least 
a rough shape before I start. I've tried in the past kind of doing the thing that some people can do where they just start and see where where it goes, but that never works out very well for me. It tends to kind of mm-hmm. suck or runs off into a ditch, and I don't know what to do with it. So I try to get a rough idea before I start, so I'm kind of in that part now. Oh, cool, man. So, but but next year, around uh, around this time, you said? Yes, this time next year, we should see the third and final installment. And this book, Lakewood ended in a cliffhanger. This book has a bit of a cliffhanger, and I'm promising everyone the third one will not have a cliffhanger. So, it will be done. <laughs> uh, so that way, instead of a TV series, you're going to go for a mini series. Right. It will end. So. Okay. Well, well, that's awesome, man. So, um, what other, any other kind of info you want people to have about, uh, first of all, where they can pick it up, uh, where to get more information about the book? Well, the simplest thing is just to go to robertrbest.com and check out all the links there. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm Robert R. Best on Twitter. I have a Facebook account under the same name, but I hardly ever update that. I'm on Twitter a lot more. So um, you can follow me on Facebook, but I'm not there very often, to be honest. Um, well, I was just going to say, yeah, Twitter. Twitter is, is, uh, is the fun place where, it's, where we uh, get in political fights. Oh, well, that's true. Yes, it's a lot of fun. I'm just, you know, I keep trying to help you see the light, and I'm just not sure it's happening. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I worry <Awesome>. about you. <laughs> well, you know what? There are a lot of things about me that need to be worried about, and I do appreciate it. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Hey, hey, really appreciate you coming on the show, man. It was no, awesome. No problem. Thanks for have, having me. No problem. Everybody go check out Ashton Memorial. It's on Amazon or robertrbest.com. And right yes. now, I hear that he is trying to make it look really pretty. So Yes, so, uh, I'm yeah. trying to tweak it at the moment. It's <laughs> it's all right. It's getting there. Oh, there's the zombie kitty, so go there. Yes, well, at least as of right now. So, As of this recording, there's a zombie kitty. <laughs> Man, you're going to get so many hits. Just wait for the bandwidth to take over. Well, that's true. Kitty. Perhaps I should just add a whole lolcats lol section. Because, you know, those are the two things on the internet. Porn well, and cats. Well, since everybody loves cats so much, man, they will be there. <laughs> love zombies, love cat. cats. Jeez. Yep. <laughs> All, right, All right. Hey, well, thanks again for coming on. Appreciate it. All right. No no problem. Thanks for ha- have- having me. Is that Cadaver Lab? I'm a big fan. And I heard what you said in your show. I want my butt set. I'm a big fan. I'm just crazy about your show, and I want my butt sex. I was going to make you squeal like a piggy, but I'm a giving man. I takes as well. You can make me squeal like a pig, too. I love my butt sex. We've gone to do so much fucking, it's going to sound like a pigsty. <laughs> Oh, I love you, Cadaver Lab. I'm such a big fan, and I'm so glad that you've offered butt sex to your fans, because I consider myself one of your biggest. And I love my butt sex. I can't wait. I love you guys. Please contact me with details, because I'm horny, and I'm ready to go. I love you. Bye. (laughs) 
I feel like we're going to be a letdown because that guy is getting his hopes up for way too much. Actually, you know what? That's not true at all. Um, you know, we here at the Cadaver Lab, we stick to our word. We aim to please. And uh, so anybody, we are giving it out. Um, let me give you an address. Let's see here. Let me let me see what our address is. It's here in Oklahoma City. <laughs> Let, let's see. Oh, okay. Um, actually, yeah. Uh, actually, if you just show up to Oklahoma City um, and uh, get a hold of a Kruger dude, he is down. I'm... I I assume, right? <laughs> um, yeah, I live in Utah. <laughs> what? What? No, no, no! You can't, you can't pull that joke on me. Come on! I know you just did it, so it's not even funny anymore. Well, you well, know, what I figure is we we send him to Sam's house, or oh yeah, that's a great idea, or Ferguson's house. Oh, that's even funnier. Are you kidding me? Oh, dude, you know what? By the way, uh, speaking of Ferguson, real quick, I went and saw his uh, his band play up in uh, a place called Ogden, Utah, which is uh, it's about uh, half an hour uh, north of Salt Lake, and uh, dude. That guy is a MILF magnet. Are you serious? I am dead serious. It was oh, man. So, it was awesome, man. He's my hero. And I got a picture of his nipple, and I pinched it, and I twisted it a little bit, and uh, I actually put it on Twitter. I should. Somebody said I should put that on the forums, and I forgot to, but I need, we need to put, uh, I need to find that picture and, and put it up on the forums for, uh, for Fergie to, to, to remember forever and ever. Dude, mature women are the best. Mature. That is probably one of the nicest things you could have called these ladies. Anywho. Hi, you guys. This is Julie from 19 Nocturne Boulevard. And uh, apologizing for being sort of absent, I kind of took on a workload that was a little bit more than I could deal with. Well, not a little bit more, but uh, the most I could deal with. I didn't have time to do as much socializing as I used to um, with my show. And now I've just had something that is up my ante. Um, okay, I can't even really think of a good completion for that metaphor. But um, I just have been in negotiations to sell a screenplay. And it looks like it's going to get made. And I will keep you posted as it goes. It's a classic, you know, one of the one of the serial killer type stuff. So it's right up your alley. And uh, I think you'll really enjoy it when it comes out uh, because there's, there's some nudity. So, um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, this is, we're in the early preliminary stages right now and I'm going to have to be, I'm going to be working on it in sort of the production capacity, blah, blah, blah. And it's kind of crazy. And it's my first time. So I will probably be very overwhelmed for a while. I did mention it in the forums, but kind of in my old 19 Nocturne forum, because I just didn't want to. Well, I do want to jump up and down, but I was trying not to be too obtrusive, but then I can't resist. So um, I, uh, I've i started a blog about my deep, meaningful, personal journey through doing this movie thing. And uh, that's... <laughs> Sorry, I can't even say that with a straight face. But... Um, it's protege the movie.wordpress.com. That's the name of my script. You know, of course, protege. Who knows what it's going to turn out to be by the time the movie comes out? It could be, you know, uh, you know, bite the dead tadpole or something. And no, I'm actually working closely with the guys. And one of them I've worked with for years, and the others he's worked with for years. So I think there's a good chance that it will actually make it all the way to screen without being too effed up. So. Uh, but I wish me luck and uh, keep an eye on what I'm doing. Hey, have a good one. Bye-bye.
Hey, Julie, congratulations on the screenplay. That's awesome. That's awesome. But I, I got to stop you. At the very beginning, you said, did you say that you took too big of a load? Because that's what I heard. There, there Everybody take go. a drink. There you go, making making a real, uh, just a wonderful thing that uh, we all ought to be congratulating it for and making it dirty. Oh, come on. But I guess that's what we do best here, huh? Oh, she's awesome. No, that's actually awesome. You know what? That voicemail was really cool because, uh, um, and, and I want to mention this because Gracie's poppy sent me an email. He's like, dude, you need to mention this. This is this is a really big deal for her and, and uh, you know, whatever. But she called in, and so uh, so that's why I didn't say anything about it, Gracie's poppy, because <laughs> she did the job for me. But you know what? If you Go ahead, and if, you, if you'd like to post stuff to our forums, too, please do. I mean, everybody's interested in, in, in all that stuff you have going on. And, all, and uh, literally, uh, Julie is one of the hardest working people in, uh, you know, doing with, with all that she does for her show and um, obviously her writing and all that stuff. No, that's awesome. You know what? I, I actually cannot wait to check it out. Oh, yeah. She's really awesome. And uh, I'm just glad she called in because ever since I've come on to the show, I've thought, I think I scared her away because, like, half the people that used to call in don't call anymore. Well, no, that's because Sam used to, like, have, a like, a love affair with her going on, I think. But he didn't tell us, you know. Oh, It I was see. the whole beanbag and uh, flipping. Oh, yeah. Flicking the know, bean. Flick, oh, yeah, that was what it was. Flicking. And on the uh, leopard skin uh, <laughs> overstuffed. I can't remember what all that yeah. was. There was but, a whole uh, thing. <laughs> man, it was, it was too intricate. I probably would have gone cross-eyed and busted a leg trying to make those moves. <laughs> but what do you think? No, that's awesome. Congrats. That's huge. Hell yeah. Hey, Cadaver Lab guys. This is Jeff and Fort Wayne. Uh, hey, I just, uh, I'm only up to episode 22, so I'm kind of working my way through the archive. Uh, but I am loving the show. You guys are freaking hilarious. Uh, I, I always laugh. Every show, you guys make me laugh. Uh, great reviews. A lot of fun, you know. I just want to give you that feedback. Um, so keep up the great work. Uh, oh, one of the things that, that I have to do is uh, I uh, have to forward on to find out where the reviews start. And um, I don't know if it's cool if you guys think about it, maybe putting all the review stuff kind of in the beginning and then the emails and all the other stuff kind of at the end because um, I don't really care about the emails. But, you know, uh, some people do, some people don't. It's cool. Uh, so, anyway, you know, the other thing is, um, you know, I think that uh, when you play the the intro to a review, sometimes it's just like people going, you know, gurgling and stuff, and it's like, it might be cool to watch, but it's it's kind of hard to, to listen to, because you don't know what's going on, and there's just like gurgly, sloppy chaos going on. So, I don't know, maybe just picking a better scene with dialogue, or a key dialogue or something would be cool. Um, and then when you come back, you I think a lot of times you talk about the movie, or you say that here's the title of the movie, and then you spend like three or four minutes in in uh, audio clip. Come back. Um, when you come back, could you say the name of it again? Because maybe it's just my brain. But sometimes I'm forgetting even what movie we're talking about. Especially I'm, I'm thinking about all the three or four that you guys are reviewing. So you know, you say, oh, this is you know Alien. And then you have a big scene from it for three or four minutes, and you come back and just get into it. But it'd be cool if you just go. Um, yeah, okay, then we're going to talk about his alien, you know, and, and jumping into it. All right, uh, keep up the great work, loving it. Uh, take care, guys, bye. God damn it, Mike, you and Sam need to get that shit fixed, man. Well, actually, listen, listen, okay, I've been thinking about this a lot. 
I've been thinking long and hard about this, okay? Long and um, hard. Long, long, <laughs> I've been thinking long and hard and sticky about this, okay? <laughs> uh, first of all, those are all great ideas. They really are. Yeah, you know, not only not only could we remove the reviews to the beginning, but I was actually thinking about splitting out the audio files into tracks so you could fast forward to the next part, you know, and uh, just basically by, you know, as if you were just skipping a song in an album. You, uh, you know, I could totally do that. Um, and actually, I, I could be more... Um, you know, more vigilant with trying to find better trailers, especially for those who don't really have any good trailers out there to find. You know, some of them are a little tough. I'll just have to work harder at that. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll try to make our 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 shows a little less ADD. Uh, actually, a little more ADD compliant. So you can remember what the shows are, or you know what the movies we're talking about. Or we're just gonna keep doing it the same way we're doing it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I just laughed like that, but it made me laugh really hard. I mean, listen. I like the voicemail because that guy, once he gets to like forty, whatever, when I when I start when like forty nine, when I'm on the show, like once he hits that episode, dude, he's gonna just like call in with like the angriest voicemail ever. Oh yeah, so, who's oh, yeah. this it, fucking guy? And get pissed off at Sam. Sam got a lot of. Oh, everybody, everybody got so mad at Sam. Round two's to, coming, man. No, you know what's funny is uh, no. It, it, it honestly, it's not that I don't appreciate the feedback, um, you, you know. But uh, you know, I've been through. We we've kind of gone through all that before, and I just kind of like how we do it. You know? Oh, I mean, I'm, I, you I'm know, comfortable I, with it. We we take a lot of suggestions about the show, um, and it seems like right now we've had a lot of people saying they they're loving the new format. So, um, I don't know. I mean, we'll definitely uh, you know consider it. It's it's, it's awesome, but well. well yeah. Right now we we kind of have a good thing going. Honestly, and, and and here's the deal, if I and I say this every episode, I honestly I would put tracks in there because you can do that. I just I just don't know how to do it, and I I don't have the time to do it. What or, do you mean? You know, yeah, because basically what we can do is kind of, um, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of funny because I mean you don't split the podcast up into multiple files, but what you can do is is make it so that your iPod you can click forward and it will go to another mark in the like a chapter. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. And you can I just don't know how to do it and I mean I'm sure that it would be easy to find out, but then I know that would be more work. A lot and more we'll editing. Know, uh, well, you know, I doubt it'll even be editing. I'll what I'll do is I'm editing, I'll probably just take a note of where to add the next thing. You know, and say, Okay, well here's here's where we need to put the next thing. Um well but you know, we'll see. I doubt I doubt I'll be, I'll be able to get to it. I, honestly, we're getting these out. We're having enough problems trying to get our schedules worked out. I just burped. I don't know if you noticed, but I just had a, I just had a little bit of chili come up because that's right. I had chili for dinner. Okay. And Is I, it cold? I, no. Oh man, like it's 138 here, man. I couldn't eat chili. Oh, dude. Oh, but yeah. But I mean, I was in my house. My house is like 73 degrees. Oh, that's why. Yeah. Well, you're a, you're a bear, you big bear. Hibernate. Oh, <laughs> yeah, but all I wore all I wore was a tube sock, <laughs> and fit fit all my junk in there. Wore a tube sock, and uh, you had to wear like a baby tube sock. Uh, oh no! <laughs> Excuse me, it was not a baby tube sock, you asshole. It was a toddler tube sock. Okay, ages oh. ages two to three. <laughs> anyway, Mike, Johnny, hey, how's it going, guys? This is boy here. I uh, just wanted to touch base with three real quick and. Say hey, and I love the new episodes it got, especially the stuff about the horror rock. All about that. That's pretty much what I mostly consist of listening to on a regular basis. I mean, go back from uh, Michael Graves. I mean, 
Mike, I don't know if you heard him yet. I know you probably heard him from the Misfits, but his solo stuff is amazing. It's just awesome. Some of it's just uh, like piano and acoustic guitar, but still amazing nonetheless. And one real quick thing to Johnny. Dude, seriously, if people are giving you shit for what you post on YouTube, fuck them. Seriously, man. I don't usually use a lot of bad language when I call, but I just think it's ridiculous. I mean, all it is, it's probably jealousy, if not. You're out there doing something that they probably only wish they can do, so since they can't, they're going to lash out at you. So you're an easy target. So screw them, man. Don't even pay no mind to it. Keep doing what you're doing, dude. Like I said on Twitter when I was talking to you earlier, if you stop doing it, they win. And what's that going to give you? Nothing. So the hell with them, man. Just keep doing what you're doing, man. I love the stuff you're doing on Kruger Nation, dude. Keep it up. And if you're going to do a comedy-type shit on there, too, I'll listen, too. Take a look. No problem. Uh, Anything else? Uh, Poughkeepsie Tapes. The other movie I watched. I was telling Mike about that. You guys got to check that out, man. You got to do it on a show. Really curious to hear what you're going to say about it. Whether you like it or not, don't matter. No, I'm not on crack right now, but I did do a five-hour energy shot and drank a Monster Energy on top of that, so I'm kind of geeked out a little bit. So bear with me. <laughs> and Gracie Poppy, hey, Lord of the Cadaver Lab forums, what can I say? Other than that, that's all i got to tell you, man. Uh, I'll be keeping in touch, man. As soon as I get a movie in that I can actually sit down and watch without my kid driving me nuts, I'll be more than happy to chime in, let you know what's going on. All right, brothers? You guys take it easy, man. Great show, as always. Later, man. Dude, he, do you know what he just said to you? What's that? If you, if you, don't, if you, if you don't continue to make Kruger Nations, the terrorists win. That's what I heard, too. Because that's what they are. <laughs> Mental like, terrorists. Osama's sitting in a cave somewhere making videos to Kruger Nation. Oh, my gosh. You combed your hair wrong, you stupid American. In, in, uh, what do they call us? I was going to call you an invalid. Infidel. Infidel, yes, thanks. <laughs> invalid. I'm in a wheelchair, too. I also hate people who cannot walk right. <laughs> Cripples. <laughs> oh, man, Misfit Boy, that's awesome, man. I like to hear the, you know, the kind words about... Kruger Nation, you know, I really am still doing that. It's just right now, um, with you know everything else that's going on, it's kind of taking a back seat. But it's coming back strong pretty soon because I I'm filming the comedy shorts and I'm also filming horror reviews and things like that. And so that's definitely still happening. It's not. I mean, pe- people are getting discouraged, and I get emails all the time. People are like, "Man, did you just like stop?" And I did for a while, but um, I'm back, man. I just I'll put a video out real soon with your nipple. Uh, with just my, I only have one, one big nipple in the middle. Oh my gosh. Oh. Dude, you are the chosen one. There have been prophecies handed down from generation to generation about the one big nipple man. (laughs) Nipple hut. (laughs) Anyway, nipple (laughs) hut, that's really weird. Why? (laughs) Nipple hut? Is it shaped like a hut? (laughs) What? That's a strip club, dude. (laughs) I'm just joking. serious? It's in an old pizza hut. (laughs) That is a great name for a strip club, the Nipple Hut. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Looks like a giant areola. Dude, <laughs> guaranteed to give you a boner within 30 minutes or your order is free. 
Exactly. You get you get uh, cinnamon uh, minis for free. Dude, what what's our problem? What what? I, you know what? Here's the, here's the deal. This is why I'm being so dirty today. Okay, it's because we haven't recorded in like three weeks. Like I said, and I've been it's been pent up. It is. It's it's building up inside of you, man. Be, because you know what? I don't. I'm not like this at all in real life. Okay. <laughs> I am 100 percent professional. Okay. Whatever. All right. Believe it. <laughs> all right. Next next voicemail. Hey, Mike. Hey, Johnny. This is Cindy from the Creepy Kids Cop Podcast. Um, I'm totally calling you illegally. I'm looking out for cops. I'm driving in my car. So if I die or if I get arrested, it's your fault. And um, if I get arrested, you pay my bail. Uh, Anyway, um, I'm only halfway through your bonus episode, and it's cracking me up. I totally got the Who Else Said That contest, and I had to stop the podcast and call in just because, uh, mostly because of two. I couldn't think of anything for the last line the um, you don't go to heaven you come to us uh, other than maybe that being a really good tagline for creepy kids uh, but I wanted to say that the uh, get the tools and let's go scope it out would probably be anyone who has had sex with Paris Hilton which is kind of lame I know uh, but the one I really liked the best uh, that I thought about was uh, come on you mother which is probably what Mike said right before he punched Mother Teresa in the face because you're that type of guy anyway that's all I have to say right now. Um, I'm actually going to get off the phone because I really don't want a cop car sneaking up on me. Um, I probably won't win any DVDs because it's really lame. Anyway, love you guys. Bye. First of all, Dude. bitch had it coming. What? Bitch had it coming. <laughs> Mother Teresa? Yeah. Man. You know what? I am so sorry. I I should have put that in with the other entries. But uh, send me your send me your uh, your uh, your address. Those were awesome. Oh yeah, that was awesome. Those were awesome. Uh, Cindy's awesome. And when that first one, the Paris Hilton line, yeah, uh, you know, I thought about that, and that one's really funny. But um, <laughs> as she was saying the Paris Hilton thing, I thought people could also say that it went before they go spelunking in uh, Rosie O'Donnell's anal cavity. Oh well, you know what? That's over the line. You know, we can talk dicks, we can talk balls, we can talk all sorts of gross, but but any orifice in Rosie O'Donnell is over the line. That's too much. Sorry. No, I'm just teasing. Um, actually, yeah. Gosh dang, I'm sorry, Sins. I was actually listening to their uh, their listener choice episode today, and uh, between her and Stace, they are, they are they are freaking hilarious. And it's you know, I, and I like we we were just talking earlier, Johnny and I, that I don't get a hell of a lot of time to to listen to podcasts, but I was making a point to listen to that one. Creepykitchshopblogspot.com. Send me your address, and I you know what? Awesome. We I've got tons of stuff to send out, and I, I want to send it out. Because not only am I the type of guy to punch Mother Teresa in the face, but uh, but it's the same type of guy that actually sends uh, prizes out. Okay? <laughs> actually, I sent her a, a DVD. Mother um, Teresa? Yeah, I did. After that, it was of course of The Exorcist. So, <laughs> so uh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Hey, um, I I haven't listened to their listener choice episode uh-huh. yet, but I made a choice, and I'm pretty sure it didn't get on there. Oh, what? I suggested the Burbs. Yeah, they didn't do the burbs, dude. Yeah, I knew they didn't because I read the description. Oh man! <laughs> no, the I need burbs. to listen to it though. I you know, you know what's it. funny though is I have not seen the burbs in forever, and you know what? I, I have watch it every problem. month. I I have a problem with the burbs. Oh, and and listen, it's not the movie itself. Don't say it's Joe not. Dante. Um, you know, it's not even Joe Dante, even though I think he's an ass, and it's not even Tom Hanks, and I think he's an ass because that was actually back when he was funny, you know. It's the fact that my wife loves that movie. 
What? Some about it. If if my wife loves it, I have. I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's just I don't know. My contrarian view of our of our tastes, and, and maybe you know I see her as the man. Well, not like the man. <laughs> that, would, that would be weird. I'd be squealing like a bee. I see her as the the proverbial man, and I need to. You know, I'm I'm a rebellious uh, uh, one of the proletariat. That's right. It's communist in this house. Okay. <laughs> you Reds. <laughs> exactly. I'm just hey. Teasing. I love the Burrs, man. Favorite movie of all time, and uh, I, I bet you I watch that movie once a month. You know what? That's awesome. Speaking of favorite movies of all time, are we going off on a lot of tangents? I don't care. I'm sorry. We are. Uh, but, but okay, so... But it's awesome. W- my favorite... Probably my number one favorite movie of all time is The Ninth Gate. I don't... I, I, you probably know that. I don't, I don't know. I've talked about it a few times. I freaking love that movie. I watch that movie constantly. Um... And you know what's weird is you know the girl in that I, I can't uh, Emmanuel Signor or something I can't remember her name, but you know you yeah know and, and yeah huh she was in Argento's Giallo. So was she the main girl? She uh, I don't know if she was the main because I didn't actually watch it, but she was in. She's like she was the blonde. Oh no, the, it's not her. The problem is, is she kind of looked like she got hit in the face with a shovel. I, I think that's what happened. I'm I'm really bummed. You know, I mean, it's not because, like, it's like, oh, my gosh, she's so hot or anything like that. I wasn't doing that. But basically, it's like, you know, I just kind of, wow. Oh, that that's uh, I just kind of, there's just kind of a letdown. I don't know. I don't think there are that many years between the two movies. It's like, ten, like a decade. Well, well, yeah. Well, it's not like she, like, got all fat or anything or got all old looking. She just kind of looked like she got hit in the face with a freaking shovel. It happens. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Anyways. Whatever. Sins uh, called us again, uh, even though she uh, she had to risk uh, jail. And of course, uh, uh, I was I was gonna say, uh, well, never mind. I'll she just go ahead and play she used her one phone call to call us. <laughs> exactly. Hey, it's Sins again. Um, I just had one more thing to say to Mike before I forget. Sausages again. Goodbye. Yeah. So what other <laughs> sausages? Sausages again. Oh, uh, that yeah, I've been getting a lot of shit for that, but it's hilarious. Come on, it's funny. I don't, th- I don't think it gets old. Oh my gosh, you know what? You know what I don't understand. Uh, did we? I think I may have even this may have been the kick in the balls. But I don't know how anybody can say sausages again. Sausages are a kind of food that you can eat every day of the week. Okay, it, that that's I I just I may have already brought that up during the episode, but this is something I feel really strongly about, and I stand up for things I feel strongly about. Okay, what's well, a fact? It's actually. Uh... In Wikipedia, that sausages are a daily food. Like you, you're supposed to eat them every day. You know what? It's and not I don't true. Know, it, <laughs> well, I only wish it was. Oh, it is and, though. And uh, and uh, I hear that you're a, a quite the sausage connoisseur. <laughs> Zing. <laughs> Zing. Did you like that? Oh, hey, yeah. Mike and Johnny. This is Allison calling in to report. I made it injury-free through the entire Phantasm bonus episode, and I want to thank you guys for that. I was also very impressed and happy with the uh, number and the quality of the balls jokes during the episode. That really made my day. But I do have a kick in the balls for Mike for being a typical man and blowing your load twice at the beginning of the first film and then nothing for the rest of the show. Thanks, guys. Bye. (laughs) You know what? I'm just happy I did it twice. What did you do? Uh, I blew my load. (laughs) <laughs> I I I can't remember exactly what I did, but I remember referencing it a couple times in the beginning, uh, just because uh, I I I'm having a hard time remember. I'm just proud of myself for two. That's two, awesome. Two in the first part. I've been eating a lot of sausages, a lot of protein. <laughs> Man, thanks for the call. That's awesome. 
Hey, this is Everlab. It's the Wolfman again, calling in you once more. Uh, listening back a ways during the uh, stretch between episode 59 and 60, I listened in to uh, the call from Chris where he was talking about how we shouldn't hold it against the reviewers too much that they look down on films like Dead Girl because they're mainstream reviewers, not really ones who will be talking to an audience like us that appreciates this type of film. Well, I'm afraid I'm going to call him on that one because these are the same people who look at a film like, say, Citizen Kane and sneer at you if you say, but it's a boring film. So if they're allowed to look down on us for not appreciating their films, I'd say we're allowed to look down on them for not appreciating ours. When you are a critic, you're saying that you're at least trying to be objective. Now, to my opinion, objective doesn't mean you don't have a personal opinion. It means that you can recognize your personal opinion, set it aside, and say whether or not the film is any good or not, despite what your personal opinion says. Now, feel free to say that you think the film is a piece of utter trash because of its content, but then give it an honest review based on its ability outside of that. Don't go, oh, say, publicizing the addresses of the people involved with the film so that folks can publicly write in and stalk, or I'm sorry, uh, shame them. Um, The main thing I was calling in about this time, though, was with episode 61 when you went through Phantasm. Now, it sounds like you guys had a hard time figuring out what it was about, and, well, I suppose after the Nightmare on Elm Street 2 review, it makes some sense, because eh, Mike had a hard time catching on to the obvious symbolism there, too. The key to Phantasm is to realize that the entire series is a nightmare about Mike coming to terms with his sexuality. The first film is probably the most obvious about this, with Mike's incredibly effeminate appearance, his long hair, his anxiety over big brother Jody possibly going away, and his sneaking around so he can watch Jody's ass as he humps the lavender lady. Then, of course, we have the major threat to main characters in the film, a lovely woman who is, in reality, a creepy older man, mixing adolescent fantasy along with latent desires that don't fit with the social norm, and, of course, a subconscious distrust of women and fear of losing his virginity, whoever it's with. Obviously, the Lavender Lady's tendency to kill people by stabbing them in the lower back with her knife during the act of sex only reinforces this. That the avatar of the hidden desires is from another world is clearly a metaphor for the sense of alienation in a largely heterosexual world. The dream ending begins to associate Reggie as the avatar of the family, and what Michael feels is a proper relationship with the world, something that's only enhanced in future films. The second movie moves on towards feared family reactions to the discovery of his homosexual nature, starting with Michael being institutionalized and moving on from there to joining his family in a hyper-masculine effort to hunt down and destroy the tall man, as previously discussed, the avatar of Michael's latent homosexual urges. The continual destruction of the Hemikuta, one of the most blatant recurring symbols of masculinity in the films, is clear evidence of this. It's constantly destroyed, only to be brought back without explanation as Michael's subconscious attempts to fight its way back to a masculine ideal. The existence of Lisa and her psychic link with Michael once again hides a dual meaning, 
both an attempt to reinforce his heterosexuality and a hidden yearning for more feminine qualities and roles within himself. Alchemy plays the role of the Lavender Lady here in being something both desirable and a threat, a recurring role between the Lavender Lady, Alchemy, Rocky, and Lil Miss Fears for Tits in the fourth film. Reggie's recurrent failed efforts to make it with these avatars of femininity and heterosexuality are both part of building Reggie as an avatar of the heterosexual alpha male and of an effort to create an appropriate relationship in the mind of somebody whose images have been shaped by the love life of his ex-military older brother and action films. The final turning of alchemy and the death and destruction that ensued was, once again, subconscious fears of the feminine striking out, as well as killing those latent heterosexual desires embodied by Lisa. Whoa, hold, hold on a sec. What happened? Nothing. I need to take a little break. My 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 mind is blowing. <laughs> also, also, uh, yeah, I wanted to get in here real quick, and I wanted to clarify something. I'm gonna let the Wolfman continue to go on, but I want I want to make something utterly clear right now. Um, the mic that he's talking about is the mic in the movie. <laughs> oh, I was totally not. I thought he was talking about you. No, okay. <laughs> no, no, no. All right, let's get back to it. In the third film, we have the return of the older brother, blatant references to Michael's concerns that his brother would never approve of his nature. At the same time, this is also where the tall man begins to be accepted and integrated into Michael's subconscious and self-identity. The kidnapping of Michael, separating him from the subconscious avatar of masculinity, who only becomes more masculine as he adopts a fatherly role towards Timmy, an obvious avatar for Michael's own childhood identity as a young badass, is another thing that becomes incredibly clear here. The subconscious wars against itself, the stakes becoming ever higher throughout the third film and the fourth. In the fourth film, Michael, complete with spheres in his head, or, you know, balls on the brain, is beginning to accept himself. The tall man becoming more human and more likable as Michael accepts his homosexual urges as natural and something that can be accepted within himself. Fear Jody's apparent betrayal is actually part of the subconscious realizing that Jody would have loved him either way and beginning to move him towards accepting himself. The flashbacks to the real world are emblematic of a gradual return to the waking and real world, the real tall man, the real Reggie, and everything else that was there. The menace of the tall man in earlier parts, before he goes back in time and completely humanizes the tall man, are the last bit efforts of his mind to maintain the fearsomeness of the homosexual other, in favor of the heroic heterosexual identity of Reggie. But in the end, Michael comes to accept his homosexual identity, and from that point gradually comes out of the subconscious dream realm. The ending battle with the tall man and Jody represents Michael's overcoming his fears through the very tools that those fears had used, eliminating the image of the homosexual other as fearful, and of Jody as a disapproving force would reject him. The tall man, as Morningside, then pulls the sphere free, allowing Michael to wake up. The final whispered pleas of Michael, begging for help because he's dying, are the voice of the Michael from before, the conflicted Michael who didn't accept his sexuality and was fearful of what he might be. The young Michael is the real-world Michael, accepting himself by ignoring those final subconscious concerns. Really, it's all quite elegant in its artistic statements and implications, and I have to give Coscarelli a great deal of credit for doing this in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, when the world was a much more homophobic place. 
And if you believed any of that, I have a bridge I'd like to sell you. It's out in New York. Got a good price on it in this market. Oh, okay, hold on a sec. Holy shit. Okay. <laughs> what? All right. All right. Okay. No, I, all right. All right. Let's finish it off now. Okay, here we go. Um, I love the original films in the series and can't say enough good things about it, except for the points where, well, to put it bluntly, my brother came in while I was watching it, took one look at Michael and said, who's she? I think that kind of gets the point across about uh, A. Michael Baldwin. Um, and after your who else said this ones, you had the three lines here. Well, I've got some options to go with them. Uh, the first one I think is working a little bit better. Let's get the tools and scope it out. I think that was the OBGYN in teeth after he realized that maybe it was best using things other than his fingers in his job. I don't really have a good one for come on, you mother. But for when you think that when you die, you go to heaven, you come to us. As the tall man put it, uh, I've got two for those, actually. One of them would be Ed Gein and Jeffrey Dahmer. And the other would be uh, slightly edited. That would be, you think that when you die, you go to heaven, you come in us. That was the Golden Girls. <laughs> Did he just finish that up with a disturbing image of the Golden Girls? Come on. I Dude, you're disturbed. I'm picturing Estelle Getty naked. I'm <laughs> turned on. <laughs> uh, dude, you know what? I got to be honest with you. I didn't know that was an entry. So, yeah, send me your address, too. Oh, hell yeah. We'll get all that stuff out. Uh, okay, so I'll sum up that in, in uh, just one little phrase. Sum up that whole voicemail in one phrase. There were shitloads of balls floating around the whole movie. <laughs> In, like, all four movies. Yeah, exactly. Oh, dude, they were that was... silver. <laughs> oh, man, I've heard of uh, blue balls, but never silver and gold balls. <laughs> Anyways, so, we That's what they were line. talking about, that Christmas song. Silver and gold. Balls. <laughs> it's all about balls. Dude, everything is conspiracy about testicles. I'm going to do one of those shows on the History Channel where they can make anything sound like anything. <laughs> we'll be like... And then in the year 1748, they discovered testicles on the Shrine of Geese. I'm like, what? <laughs> I, that makes perfect sense. That does look like a pair of balls. <laughs> oh, dude, you should do that. That should be one of your uh, your comedy things. Well, will. I'll do it. No one steal that. Hey, Mike. Johnny. It's Johnny from the UK. Hope you guys are doing okay. Just thought I'd ring in and leave a voicemail because I've not done it for the last couple of shows. Um, I won't try and talk with a ball in my mouth because all English people talk like that anyway. So, and it was good to see on your last show a couple of Brits ringing in, all good stuff. And um, yeah, Mike, when you changed your avatar today on um, Twitter, Jesus, that's a game of this morning, man. Fantastic though. But remind me, I don't know how old you are, but I remember in the 80s, the uh, wrestlers, the bushwhackers, the guys who used to lick each other's heads. So maybe I could come over there and we could like, you know, form a new wrestling team. They could have a lab wrestlers and we can lick each other's heads. Well, I don't know. It's up to you, man. Whatever. And also, the um, saw your review on Corpse Collective. Great start, by the way, of the Serbian film. Very nice. Very nice. Very nice. So, anyway, guys, just uh, take care and stuff. And Oh, Johnny as well. Yeah, looking forward to your film as well. That sounds uh, quite interesting, sir. So, there you go. Anyway, I've got to go because I've got to go home and um, get my dinner, which Emma's cooking for me. I'm not sure what, should, what, what we're going to have tonight or anything, but um, I should imagine it's just going to be sausages again. Bye. <laughs> 
Johnny T rocks, but I'm gonna go ahead and ask it just flat out. Do d- does this uh, secret society of Baldies? Do you guys lick each other's heads? Dude, you don't know who the Bushwhackers are? I know who they are. He was talking about you guys. Well, he I, I look like one of the Bushwhackers. Come on, because I'm I'm a hairy beast, and I and I'm in I'm in a full beard mode right now. Okay. Uh, yeah, I saw that. I, awesome. I even have a mustache right now. I'm gonna shave that off tonight because it's irritating. But still, come on, man. Bushwhackers. Plus, I'd lick Johnny T's head no matter what. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's hairless, though. So, I don't know. Maybe maybe we'll have to get him to uh, to put on a... Uh, uh, oh, shit. I forgot the word. What are those... Sam taught me a word. It was about a wig for pubes. <laughs> what? I never heard of that. Oh, my God. Like he a wave? No, it's... There, there's there's an actual word for a pube wig, and I just it just fell out of my head. Anyway, is it real know. or did he make it up? No, it's real. Oh, I'm as looking that up. That's awesome. As far as I know, um, uh, let's see, uh, let's see. Uh, um, yes, again, it's sausage, sausage in the pube wig <laughs> is what's for dinner. Pube wigs again? <laughs> Gross. <laughs> Oh, man, that, that, that's all the uh, the voicemails that we have. And, uh, gosh dang, we appreciate you guys calling those. And those are, I freaking love getting voicemails. I'll tell you what, sometimes I listen to them in the middle of work. That one that Allison sent in, I listen to at work. And uh, just because I happen to be sitting around, and it, it, it made me start laughing my ass off. And, of course, people always look at me weird. Um, but anyways. They, they were all awesome, man. Like, oh, all yeah. the voicemails were great. That was awesome. Cool. Um, let's see. So we got some uh Cadaver Classics, and then I'll come back with some reviews. Do it. And now it's time for Cadaver Classics. Hello, everybody. Welcome to... Cadaver Classics, I'm Mike, and with me as always is Stephen. What's up, my man? Hello, hello. How are we doing tonight, Michael? Oh, did I blow it? Blow what? G- I, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, 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 right. Um, it's too late for me to, uh, it's too late for me to, uh, to, to try to speak differently. The, the cat's already out of the bag. Oh, oh, act- that, oh, that I'm actually that. not British. Oh no, oh no no the accent okay i can explain all right so okay. all right we've been giving the brits a bit of a hard time the past few weeks and, yes we have okay and and you you know zoe she's a good friend of your show and my show uh-huh. she's she's been giving me on a bit about me doing the accent and Aww. so so i've decided you know that i should i should practice until i perfect it <laughs> so, so that's this is the way I'm talking. I've I've been doing it now for about a fortnight, and <laughs> and I'm I'm hoping to have it down perfect by the time she gets back from holiday. Right now she's <laughs> in, right now she she's in Spain. So uh-huh. I, I was like, okay, this will be a nice little surprise, and hopefully she'll find it endearing when she, you know, like um if you remember in Wayne's World when uh, Mike Myers learned Cantonese in order to impress Tia Carrere. I do so, remember that. Yeah, it works. So it's the same. Yeah, so that's what I'm hoping for. She'll fall madly in love with me and think that's so, yeah, oh, that's so cute and endearing. Well, she is. So, she's a cute girl, very for. talented. Awesome. She's, she's, oh, she, she's fucking brilliant. And so, oh, yes. So 
So that's what, that's what this is all about. So d d don't let it put you off of any. Can, can I share one uh, uh, one experience I had with uh, uh, someone that I worked with who was from England? Oh, please he, do. He, okay. Yeah, I uh, my dad he didn't used try to, to rip own... your balls off, did he? N well, well. Let me get let me get to the let, let me tell the story. Okay, um, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't, no, no. didn't mean to cock it up for you. Wow, you are polite. You you are over polite. Well, wow. he goes with the accent. Oh, okay. You do sound debonair and oh, well, very classy. You. I appreciate that. I'm hoping you'll make <laughs> it, me sound more intelligent. Oh, good. Anyhow, uh, so my dad owned a moving company, and uh, I worked there, and I worked, you know, I mean, you, you get jobs, like, you know, and I was 18 years old, and there were, you know, a couple, uh, some guys there that were, that had been moving, you know, the pulling in furniture out of houses and into trucks and, and driving it around and then taking furniture from the trucks into the houses, you know? I'm, I'm okay, sorry, trucks. So, oh, trucks. you mean lorries. Okay. Uh, do I mean lorries? Yes, I believe you mean lorries. Oh, See, that's, uh, oh that's actually news to me. Uh, really? <laughs> yeah. See, well, what's, what's the famous old saying? Um, you know, United States and Britain are two countries separated by... A big fucking ocean. Yeah. I believe that was it. The Yazard. Never mind. Go back. Go on. Go well, on. Don't let me interrupt you. Well, you know. Okay. Well, let me tell you. I, I have a question for you. Is it now okay to say the c word now that you're in that accent? Because they don't seem to mind the c word that rhymes with runt. Oh, sure. Can't is like it's a, kind of like one of those everyday things. Is it is it just is that just my perception or that that's the real deal, huh? You can just drop that bomb like it was nothing, huh? Oh sure. Why do you, why do you think Madonna has adopted the accent? Because I mean, she's the biggest fucking content. <laughs> that is awful. Anyway, so yeah. I work with this British guy, and he was a little older. He was probably in his you know maybe mid to to uh, upper forties. I mean, he this, this guy had been doing this for a long time, and uh, the. He was kind of a, kind of a dickweed. I didn't. I wasn't like a big good buddy of mine. But we always seemed to go together on the same jobs. And there was one thing that redeemed him from any mis wrongdoing or, or any misdeed that he did in my book. Because whenever he would see like a half decent lady, he would say, and I'm going to try this in his accent. And I'm not lying to you. He, he okay. would say, "Good morning. May I feel your titties today?" No lie. And because he did it in the accent, ladies thought he was, uh, that was okay and funny and charming. Oh, really? Well, I, so... I'm, definitely, I'm definitely going to have to adopt that. Because <laughs> that line in my regular voice doesn't seem to be fucking getting me anywhere. Well, yeah, it kind of seems a little creepy, you know? <laughs> I mean, I, this guy would literally roll down the car window at a stoplight and just say that to ladies like at the bus stop or something. And they would giggle and we would move along. I mean, that, that is fucking amazing. It's and like that, a superpower in in the states. That I, accent. I am hoping that I, I'm definitely not going to drop the fucking thing. Then. No. The, the, from See, now the, on, from now on, this is from now on, this is my fucking voice. Did you know you, you sound like a member of uh, Spinal Tap? That, that, and, that, and I mean, that's a good thing. Oh well, it, well. It, Pretty much, that's my exposure to fucking British culture. <laughs> it's fucking Michael <laughs> McKeon. 
I don't. I don't. I don't know if there's anything else you know about. When I was like 13 and found out they weren't really British, I was like, "You've got to be fucking." Oh, that's right. That's fucking Lenny from Laverne and Shirley. Oh, oh, I. You know, I'd never, I'd never made that connection, but that's cool. Oh man, I need to start working on uh, on the accent. Maybe, maybe give me some pointers. Oh fuck! If if I get it fucking down, I'll be happy to share my gift with the world, and then we can all walk around going, "Oh, please, can I play with your titties?" (laughs) Feel? May I feel your? Okay. (laughs) Oh, can I can I feel your titties? Uh, uh, yeah, it was hilarious. No, he was a legend. Yeah, apparently, I'm I'm fucking enamored already. Of course, this was the same job. Oh yeah, well yeah. This this this, this, this dude's the dog's bollocks. Uh, did you just basically say that's the dog's balls? Yeah, but dog's bollocks is good. If you just say bollocks, that's bad. Oh, you say, oh but... bollocks! But the dog's bollocks is good. Man, dog's balls are good. See, see, I remember I, that. Yes, you know, I, see, I'm, I'm taking this fucking task seriously. I'm not just, you know, I'm not half-assing anything here, because half bollocksing. Uh, no, half-assing. Is that is that arsing, a arsing. is that a? Did I just make a big faux pas with that? Oh no, you you're only one balling it, I suppose. <laughs> one single, <laughs> single bollocking it. Which apparently happens a lot in England with the, all these women running around biting off testicles and ripping them out of the scrotums. It's like, my God. Trying to swallow but not realizing how big they actually are, right? Yeah, we know how it goes there. It's that slight dementia. Yeah, they're all, like, walking around with semi-comas. You know what? I want to go on record right now. Hope, and I'm going to make an appeal to you that we never let that joke die. Oh, God, no. It's, it's, It's too priceless. We're we're gonna continue to say it until well I, I this is on you now since you have the correct accent. Oh, well, let's let's hope so. I'm sure she'll critique it when she gets back from holiday. You, you know when uh, when you, I I'll realize that you finally made it with your British accent. When listening to you is like watching a movie like Snatch, where I see them talking, and I can pick out words now and again. But right, I have but you no don't, idea yeah, what they're it's saying. Like, what the fuck? Turn on the fucking subtitles, you know. <laughs> exactly. But, uh, but you know, I, I'm, I'm I'm hoping this works out, and she doesn't find it like creepy, since I am old enough to be a father. But speaking of creepy father-daughter relationships, we are talking about Dario Argento tonight. Yeah, oh, that was one of the best segues. That uh, and I, I, of course, just blew it. But I just wanted to make sure to give you, give you. Um, I don't, I don't know what you give you in uh, in in English speak. Um, uh, your propers. Know. Oh, just just say. Oh, Did brilliant. I just make that up? Oh, brilliant! That was fucking brilliant. Now in it. <laughs> I guess. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm gonna. You know what? I'm gonna give up. Okay. Okay. All right. Well. <gasps> Yeah, yeah. I think we're just beating a dead horse here. Beating a dead bollock. Dead bollock. (laughs) (laughs) We're beating a dead scrotum. (laughs) We've we've done ripped the bollocks off this scrotum, and 
spit it back out. So let's, let's, let's fucking move on. Um, that's Bonnie. <laughs> Bonnie. I, I don't know. Is that, a word? is that is that a word? I'm sorry. I, I I'm feeling a little like I need to to try a little harder. You know, and apparently I I just I'm just embarrassing myself. I'll go ahead and uh, stop. It's, it's all right. <laughs> oh yes, that's right. This episode we're going to be talking about. Um, obviously, we're going to be talking about Argento. Um, for Cadaver Classics, we're actually going to be talking about the Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Which was actually his his first solo directorial movie. Is that right? Credit. Yes. Yes, that's absolutely right. <laughs> and and oh, you know what we could do in honor of this? What? The parrot sketch from Monty Python. The what one? The parrot sketch. The dead parrot. You know, this parrot's dead. No, he's not. He's resting. I. You know, I don't even know that dude. Oh my god. I've I've what seen that movie too. Fuck. Multiple times, um, maybe maybe the, the swallow. A, you are such a fucking wanker. Um, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I that that had to have been a um, compliment, but uh, yeah, if you want, we could do you the swallow, too. African or European. Oh oh fuck! You want to go <laughs> Holy Grail then? Oh wait, what? Isn't that what we were talking about? Does no. Monty Python have some that's not the Holy Grail? Yeah, they had a, a whole TV series. I'm it was on the telly. It was on the telly for like four or five years. <laughs> Is that, oh, you're talking about the one where the you're, you're talking about the one where the guy tried to return a return the dead parrot, to the pet right. store. Ah, I did see that. If one. you hadn't nailed him to the perch, he'd be pus- pushing up the daisies by now. <laughs> Oh my gosh, we, you know, you know what we ought to do? What, start no, the no, fuck we're... over? No, no, this is great stuff. Plus, I don't <laughs> want to deal with another 20 minutes of this, uh, uh st- of this accent you're doing anyway. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> no, I'm just teasing you. Oh, no, anyway. no I, I can stop any time, really. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to try to pressure you to do it. Because I'm no, enjoying. It. I mean, if it's making you uncomfortable, I certainly don't want that. We'll we'll just we'll just fucking knock the rest of the show out. <laughs> you lost it there. You lost your. Uh, oh no, I did that for you. Little... I did that for you. It's because I care, Michael. You're my bro. Oh you wait, know, bros, wait, wait, wait. Bros before hoes. Actually, you know what? Um, you sound like a British man doing an American accent. <laughs> oh really? You no, you, like, you completely boring. lost. You completely <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Completely lost all your cred with me, man. Oh no, I'm just teasing. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, dude. No, dude, that was good. I mean, it's. I'll, I'll be honest with you. It's nice to have um, the Steven that I know and love back. But oh, uh, I, I felt too. like I was. I felt like I was doing. I was podcasting with a with a total stranger. Oh, okay. Well, we certainly don't worth that. So we get the <laughs> yeah, we got this you know, little familiarity thing going on. Well, it, it's a little it's too a familiar. Zone thing. Yeah, well, yeah, 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 a little too familiar. <laughs> that is the truth. Yes, you know where all my moles are. <laughs> that is bollocks. <laughs> that was that's one of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. Oh, <laughs> oh man. 
Oh, man. All right, we're going to talk about Argento. <laughs> yeah, let's fucking do it. <laughs> anyway, like I said, it uh, came out in The Bird of the Crystal Plumage, came out in 1970, his first directorial credit. Um, he actually wrote the screenplay uh, based on a Frederick Brown novel named The Screaming Mimi, which was actually made into a movie in uh, 1958. Um, let's now, see. Isn't there a little bit of controversy over that, like, Dario Argento claims that this was an original idea. He he did. However, if if it if uh, he if he didn't steal it, or, or sorry, if he didn't glean some ideas from this book, apparently from what I read, then he pretty mu- he came up with a, a very very similar um, story. Okay, because I, I haven't actually read the book, and I hadn't heard of the book until after I saw the bird of the crystal plumage and. I knew there was a, mm-hmm. a l- little bit of, I guess, a discrepancy over you know, who the credited writer was supposed to be on this. Uh-huh. Well, no, I read it, and I, I, didn't, I couldn't really find any specifics to defend one way or the other. And, uh, yeah, obviously I wasn't didn't have time to read the, read the book as if I know how to read or something, you know, before we did the show anyway. But, sure. you, know, it's, you know, I find that funny because um, now, now, now don't – don't misunderstand me when I say this. I'm not saying this in a negative way. However, this was a a pretty um, a pretty down, you know, pretty what's the word? Uh, it was a giallo, and it was uh, giallos. A lot of them kind of go by the same the same down the same path. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this is oh, oh yeah, they're, they're, this they're, isn't really they're, that unique. Yeah, I mean they they follow a formula. And right. which, which kind of, I mean, which is why I can kind of take or leave them. You know, there mm-hmm. are some really good ones. It's like this one that I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's others. It's just like, okay, I've seen this before a billion times, you know, and the Italians are fucking notorious for that. They take something and do it, beat it to fucking death <laughs> until, you know, they can't sell it anymore. And then, you know, they move right. on to the next thing. One minute it's, it's zombies. The next minute it's gladiators. The next minute. Jallo, you know, it's just that's the way their industry is set up, you know, exactly like fucking Hollywood. Right. You know, and I wouldn't necessarily call myself a big Giallo fan. However, there there are a handful that I do like. And um, I mean, and like I said, I haven't seen them all, obviously. But it, in the handful that I like, three of them are from Argento, you know, with oh, the uh, deep red, the tenebrae and this. And um um, so, I mean, he, he does something right. I mean, cause this, this was a pretty, yeah, absolutely. I mean, even though this didn't seem like it was that unique or that groundbreaking, it, I think it did have a lot going for it. First thing I, I think it had going for it was, uh, the fact that, uh, Ennio Morricone, is that how you say yep. it? Yep. He, uh, I think that, that some of the music that he, that, uh, he put together for this was outstanding. Some of the, like, like the main theme at the beginning is very dated, but mm-hmm. the, uh, the yeah, but you love it, of, yeah. And part of the, I mean, the parts of the soundtrack are just fucking absolutely brilliant. Well, there's one part that kind of goes throughout, and it's the it's the the girls, you know, la la la, or what I can't remember how it goes exactly, but that always just it's just like every time I heard that, it, it 
you know, it put me into the mindset of kick-ass Italian horror. I, I don't know. Maybe maybe that was just me when I was do, when I was watching this, but it, it kind of brought me back. And you know, if, if my attention was slipping or anything like that, which you know, I mean, it did a couple times. I mean, this wasn't a you know the perfect movie or anything like that, but I really did love that. And um, I knew some jackass that did a whole show on that guy, Ennio Morricone. Um, yeah, I seem to remember something about that a couple months ago. <laughs> J-A-F-M-P number 25. Yeah, that motherfucker. And if yeah. I remember correctly... Yeah, he's a, he's a big fan of Ennio Morricone. And... <laughs> uh, that's what I heard. Yes. That was, that was actually the first time I ever heard um, Ferguson's voice. Oh, really? In a phone call. Yeah, that was it, man. That was the one. Got my Ferguson cherry popped. I don't know what that's supposed to mean, but let's move on. Yeah, we don't want to think about Ferguson <laughs> popping too many cherries. <laughs> we do. I don't wow. I, I was kind of enticed, but. Of course you were. Uh, <laughs> budget of this was about 500K. Grossed about a million in Italy, and, you know, it did well um, throughout Europe. And, uh, you know, I couldn't really find it about how, uh, how it did around here at the time, you know, in 1970. Mm-hmm. But uh, do you know anything about that? No, I sure don't. You know what the thing is? is I I found myself trying to go the extra mile with my research on this film mm-hmm. because you know. But it's it's you know searching the internet and whatever, and that's the only tool I really had. But uh, um, it was I mean it was somewhat difficult to find you know a lot of stuff about this flick. Yeah, I, I kind of, kind of ran into the same thing because you know I do have books about horror movies laying around here, and mm-hmm. you know I couldn't really uncover a whole lot of behind the scenes stuff or, you know, uh, I mean a couple, couple things I came across you know, had, you know, critical reception you know that yeah this was you know a, a a good movie coming out of Italy, but as far as how the public perceived it, I really couldn't find a whole lot. Right, and. So, you know, I don't know whether it's because this being his first feature, you know, there wasn't anybody around kind of like paying that much attention to it or documenting it. Uh-huh. And certainly, you know, he had a, he had his reputation in uh, Italy before, you know, prior to this movie because he was a screenwriter. He wrote one of the greatest westerns of all time with uh, uh, Sergio Leone. Once upon a time in the West, he was a uh-huh. well-known movie critic. So I'm kind of surprised that there isn't more, you know, behind the scenes information, you know, available. Well, and he was also more of a hands-on guy on the set and things like that, working with his dad's company. Am I am I getting him confused? No, his uh his father was, if I'm not mistaken, was the producer, one of the executive producers on this film, helped uh-huh. uh, raise the money, and uh, was actually the story I read was that Argent, one of the producers wanted to get rid of Argento. And Argento's father went to kind of make sure he kept the job. And the secretary that worked in the office had seen part of the movie. Uh-huh. And it, oh, that, absolutely oh, yeah. t- it absolutely terrified her. Uh-huh. And Argento's father convinced her to go to the producer and tell her, tell the producer, <laughs> say, look, you know, this movie scared the piss out of me. <laughs> and that helped keep Argento on the film. Yeah, what there there's really no better reference when it comes to horror movies and scaring the shit yeah. out of an an assuming secretary. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean that's that's what you're going for. You want the average person to go to your right. movie and be terrified. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. Argento is funny for me, though. It's it's Argento fans kind of fucking kill me. But this movie, though. Oh, why why do they kill you? There's, well, it's like, you know, every like when, I guess uh, the three mothers, uh, fuck the last of the three mothers trilogy. La terza madre. Yeah. It's, it's coming out. Yeah, Mother of Tears is coming out. And everybody's like, oh, Argento's doing another... He's finishing up the trilogy. He's finishing up the trilogy. And then the movie mm-hmm. comes out, and it's like, oh, well, that was a bit shit. No, wasn't it? I like that movie. Damn it. And then, you know, oh, <laughs> oh he's doing Jallo. This is going to be fucking great. He's doing another Jallo after all these fucking years. And then uh-huh. it comes out, and they're like, oh, it's a bit shit. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's like, you know, they, they love the guy for what, you know, his past... You know, these great movies like Deep Red and Bird with the Crystal Plumage and, right. you know, all these movies up through, I'd, I'd say probably 85, his, his quality started to drop. Well, you know, <laughs> and the thing is, is when I watch it, maybe it's different now that it's 2010 and it's 40 years removed. But, I mean, this this was a good movie. I didn't think this was, like, one of his ultimate classics, not like uh, Suspiria or Inferno or Tenebrae or anything like that or Deep Red even. Um you know, but I mean, um, as far as like being a rabid fan, you know, I don't know. I, I don't really feel like I am, but I do love just a lot of his shows, a lot of yeah, his movies. Well, yeah, his early his early stuff to me is great, and he's he's kind of got the same thing going on that Tarantino has with this movie. You'll see so many influences from other fucking directors in this. Uh-huh. Uh, the scene in the elevator, I mean, it's definitely the fucking shower scene from psycho but it's oh, uh-huh. his his own take on it he, mm-hmm. he's he's kind of taken these great uh the scene where the bus depot where the uh hitman is chasing uh or what's his name sam around uh, yep. through the bu- in between the buses i mean every shot of that is has sergio leone written all over it really but it's distilled through Argento's, you know, his his own fucking take on it, which makes it fucking special. He's he's taking all this stuff from other directors. And yeah, and, you're not even mentioning Mario Bava, who of yeah, course Bava, of course, was, is a huge influence on this movie. Right. Basically, I, in my opinion, the whole looking. Oh, what's that? What's that? Uh, what's that? Uh, Bava movie. Oh, I can't remember the name of it, but it, it has the almost uh, an identical feel, look and feel to it. Oh man, what's that? The one was the one from '64, Demon Planet, Blood and Black Lace. Ah, that's right, Blood and Black Lace. That is the one from 1964, actually. Yeah, I knew it was '64. I couldn't fucking put my yes. You're right. Name. You know, we've even we've even done that movie on this show uh, on our Giallo episode, nonetheless. Mm Hmm. But anyway, those these two movies had a lot of the same. I mean, you know, the 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 look was maybe a little bit different, but the feel to it was was practically the same. Yeah, you know, my opinion. Oh yeah, I agree with you one hundred percent. And and there there's some fucking amazing shots in this fucking movie. Uh, one that really sticks up in my mind is like that overhead shot down the uh, triangle shaped staircase. Uh huh. The one what I'm talking about. I do. And that just shot is just amazing looking. Um, this the scene where uh, I guess one of our well our killer is uh, trying to get to 
uh, Sam's girlfriend, and mm-hmm. you got the eye at the fucking hole in the door. <laughs> you know, how many, th- how many times have we seen that shot? But, it fuck, I mean, in this movie, fuck, it looks fucking amazing. Uh-huh. So, I mean, it's it's a lot of different influences coming together and distilled through Argento's eye makes for something that's pretty damn entertaining. Oh, yeah. You know, and... Um... I don't. I, there, there's just. I think there's just something to be said about, um, you know, even though he did, like, like you were saying, even though he did, you know, have a lot of influences on it. Argento definitely adds a certain flavor to it that it's, it's pretty obviously him. And now I can't say that for every movie that he's ever done because I haven't seen a lot of his movies. But for this one, you know, in Tenebrae, you know, in, in maybe Deep Red, you know, the three that are, in my opinion, the most similar, the ones that I've ever that I've seen him do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a certain there's a certain something that he adds to it that just makes it a little ex- Now, I, I'm going to sound totally stupid saying this, but it, it but it excites me. You know, to know, oh, this is, you know, th- this is kind of a master at work. Now, whether or not you agree he's a master or not, you know. That oh, 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 no, I don't. I, there, there, there's no doubt in my mind that he is a fucking genius. Now, whether or not, uh, I mean, his best work is long, long behind him, like Romero, uh-huh. mm-hmm. you know. You know, at one point, you you know, at some point you've got to fucking let go. And I think, you know, that, that point's passed for, you know, uh, Argento. But the, these are, these early works throughout, you know, the early to mid seventies, I mean, they are fucking masterpieces. And and they're just fun to watch. I mean, even though that this wasn't, uh, let let me talk a little bit about the story. It wasn't the most unique or amazing story. It was, uh, basically we are, uh, the story is, centered around a reporter named Sam Dalmas, who was played by um, Tony Mustante. Uh, actually, he's, a, he's an American writer. He's currently living in Rome with his model girlfriend uh, named Julia, who was played by Susie Kendall. By the way, can I just say that the women in this were gorgeous? May, may I say that to you? Uh, yes, you may. And may I concur? <laughs> well, well. We're not even speaking in the British accent, and yet we're being so polite to one another. That's very strange. We, yeah, we got to freaking quit that shit. <laughs> anyway, uh, Sam is running into a little... Yo, that bitch was hot, yo. <laughs> yo! Titties! <laughs> uh, Sam was going through a bit Dude, of writer's love. Give your titties. How about you let me play with them titties? God loves, I loves me some titties. Excuse me, madam. <laughs> Can I feel your uh, boobies today? Yeah, just not the same. It is it? Me... Yeah, no. He wouldn't have got away with that. I wonder if we, we if we went to England though, and oh, that's a... like walking around, like say Manchester, walking up to women. No, everybody hates Americans. Come on. We can tell them we're, we're Canadian. all too. We're all too. Ooh, Canadian. Mm-hmm. Canadian. Canadians are everybody just, loves Canadians except us. That's because that's because they're all big wusses, you know. And, and you know, I don't know. Maybe feminine is in over in England. Nothing really. No, I really. just call, <laughs> I just called a lot of Canadians feminine, and I really only know one feminine um, uh, Canadian, and that's our buddy Jeff. Jeff, Jeff, crazy him and his <laughs> kitty cat. Oh, by he the looks, way, 
That's such an adorable picture of him. I just can't get over how cute that is. Let me let me ask you something. Now we'll get back to the movie, but let me let me take a two minute <laughs> a two minute break here. Okay, in the last little while, I have and this is so shocking to me. Some grown men. I won't name them by name, Brian from Drunken Zombie, Eric from Bloody Good Horror, and our buddy Jeff, have, you know, posted pictures of themselves or on Facebook or something, and it's shown cute and cuddly widow animals, and they've just been all like, oh, they're being bratty. Oh, my goodness, bratty. You know, is that that normal? Yeah, for 14-year-old girls. Well, I was going to say that, you know, and then the funny thing is, is, uh, yeah, but then I was accused of, you know, jokingly accused of being a big, tough, red state fella, you know, and, uh, and uh, I'm just thinking to myself, wow, if the alternative is posting pictures about my bratty cats. Um, what, what, well, see, here's what you need to do is like uh, post a picture of you like gutting a deer or something. <laughs> I don't want to gut a deer. Maybe and, I can Photoshop say, me. Yeah, and say, "Oh, he was being bad. Oh, he's he was, being naughty. He was naughty." So I had to teach him. I had to spank him with my oh. Rambo. I knife. just had to gut his little bloody guts and and eat him for dinner. He was just being so silly. <laughs> oh, that'll teach him to chase that ball of yard under. All right. <laughs> All right, sorry, sorry about that. I, I just was that. That's one of those times where, where you wonder, or I wonder if I'm the crazy one, you know? Or... No, no, I'm with you there. I mean, yeah, okay, yeah, it's cute, and maybe you know, girls will go all, swoon over that kind of thing, but I'm not about that. Well, yeah, these are, these guys level. are both. They, they, they I mean, it's bad enough. They... I put on the fucking accent. It's, it's, right. I'm, oh I'm yeah, yeah, this, yeah. You know, I've got a cat, but you won't you you won't see me doing anything but throwing the fucking thing. I'll be honest with you. I have a dog, and I—it's one of the most pathetic things in the world. I can't respect something that's that's that pathetic. Okay, people. What's I'm not saying dog? I'm against. I'm not. I'm not saying I'm against dogs, but he's just so. He's he, you know to to uh, to coin a phrase from my wife. He's just so. He's the cutest widow guy in the whole world. I I just can't respect that. No. Sorry. Sorry. No. See, so, yeah, well, I've got a peekaboo. That uh, uh, Lisa has a peekaboo. And he, all right. But we, we, I mean, but he's so fucking old. He's like far past his cuteness. Now he's just fucking pathetic and waiting to die. Yeah, well, that's and, that's the same with my dog. And then my dog, I'm like telling telling her, I'm like, go on, Abby, eat the fucking cat. And she won't do it. And I'm like, come on, you know, you're disappointing me. You know what? Listen, I love manly dogs. Give me a black lab, okay? Now that is a noble man's oh, yeah. best friend okay that is that is a noble beast see i have Abba, Abba's it, but, an australian but don't say oh my gosh he's so he's he's just so bratty oh, naughty naughty cat okay sorry yeah. Yeah. so okay let, let's get back i apologize i was i was no, talking about the no i trust me i understand I, why you know you, you, it, it, it had to be said mike well, I, I I'm feeling a lot better now. That you know, it was very cathartic for me. Um, all right, no, all well, right. I can I can go on uh, being a um, a big tough red state guy now. All right, yeah. Let's let's talk about some bitches getting slashed up. 
You mean some very yeah okay anyway um, basically <laughs> Sam who's there is suffering from some writer's block um, and he's thinking about returning to the U.S. He was you know I guess he was there in Rome trying to find his muse. Um, however, one night he's walking home, he catches an attempted murder inside of an art gallery um, where the art gallery owner's wife was seemingly seemingly being attacked. Um, she was played by Monica Ranieri. Um, who, or sorry, that that was her name. She was, was played by, oh, Eva Renzi. Yeah, by Eva Renzi was her name, and she was. Oh also my god, gorgeous. she's gorgeous. Yeah, and um, I really liked her, even though it ne- I won't give any spoilers. But even though she went a little crazy, okay, she was hot. Um, you know, basically, he attempts to help her. Um, the you know, cops show up eventually, and uh, he and becomes. Then- and go before, well, before you go on, I mean, this is uh-huh. one of the, one of those great scenes where he's trapped, he's trapped, I guess, behind the glass. He can't. Well, get to her yeah, this to help was her. cool. This was cool as shit. It was a great fucking way of setting everything up. You've got the glass divider between you know the the store storefront or whatever of the gallery. It, it, it's kind he of can't like get past it, it. it, and then the killer, the all dressed in black presses the button, and locks him in between two panes of glass. So he can't leave, but he's, st- he's stuck there, and he can't help her either. And, and he it, just it was watches just, her. Yeah, he has no choice but to sit there and watch. He can't run and get help, and he can't break in and help her. So, it was, I mean, it's fucking amazing way of setting you know everything in motion. I thought this was a stroke of genius. Imagine being stuck in the double doors at a Walmart. Um, I've been there, except for except for way classier. How's that? Yeah, um, and something similar happened to me. I was stuck in between the uh, double, the two sets of double doors where the buggies are, and the <laughs> greeter. Was where the what's are? Where all the buggies are, the shopping carts. I don't know what you call them. Buggies? Is that is yeah. that another uh, is that another British thing? I don't think so. I think it's. I think that's just a regional thing here, maybe. Buggies? Yeah, the, buggies. <laughs> anyway. anyway. <laughs> All right. So, anyway. So, sorry. Really, I, 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 I didn't know it was that weird. But, buggies. Uh, but, yeah. Okay. And and now there's fucking that point going on with the joke. Oh, <laughs> oh sorry. Just... Freaking, no, I don't I, know if it could have been I any was funnier tra- than I was, buggies. I was, I was trapped in between the, the two sets of doors. Well, the greeter died of a stroke. So, <laughs> did you put him in a buggy a and, and try to go for help? <laughs> I, I tried to break, I tried to ram the door with one of the rascals that they had sitting out front. But full speed ahead, two full, two and yeah, a half miles an hour. Yeah, it just didn't have the wasn't able to generate enough force. Uh, uh, oh, that's awesome, buggies. Sorry, man. That's okay. I, I, I thought I thought you were saying like uh, like uh, bollocks. I thought that was one of those words that it was okay to make fun of. Sorry to uh, to uh, make fun of a word that's engendered into the West Virginian um, culture. I I wasn't aware that was an original thing, so I learned something. Maybe, new maybe it's not. I but it's just maybe it's in. I hope it's not in every region, but anywhere I've ever been. But uh, yeah, that's the first time I ever heard that. I guess how often do people talk about shopping carts? How many? How, how often does a conversation lead to actually talking about shopping carts with your friends? Anyway, yeah, I apologize. I, I was just very, very inconsiderate there. But anyways, that was awesome. No, that's okay. <laughs> uh, anyway, so 
<laughs> Sam's passport is revoked, and he uh, basically has become a suspect in the crime. But um, it kind of becomes his obsession to solve the case, um, despite the fact that he and his girlfriend have become targets of the killer. Um, you know, in in, in basically. I mean, we won't. Go, I won't go into the story too much more. I mean, it's it's not as if it's very complex or anything like that. However, um, it has you know a lot of the the, the trappings of a Giallo, where you know uh, you have the the killer in the black gloves. You have the you know some of the point of view uh, camera angles, types of things like that. And then of course you have the obligatory wrap up scene at the end. Mm-hmm. But yeah. uh, you know, go ahead. Again, yeah, it's, it's you know, it's it's something. It's not, nothing you haven't seen before as far as the story goes, but as far as you know, the look of it, you know, it's all fucking Argento. Yeah, there was a, there were a couple of things that um, you know when a movie has something that is just so not necessarily far fetched in that it's not possible it would happen, but just so coincidental. But the story is is leaning so heavily on this one detail that mm-hmm. you know I, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. Obviously, I don't want to give it away. But the, but uh, there were just a couple of things that that um, you know I had an issue with with the story that that were just like. Are Are you referring to his faulty memory? Is no, that what I'm refer- I'm referring to his uh, to the phone call that uh, the killer made and the background noise. Oh, okay. How, how, yeah. How they managed to track the location. Right. And yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Where are the odds of the one person that had that piece of information was a friend of his that, <laughs> yeah. The one person in the world that could possibly identify this noise. Yes. Or even that that noise happened to be there, you know, and you know the anyway, but you know what I'm saying. But you know what? Yeah, other there, than and, that, and, yeah, and there were some kind of scenes that were kind of, I mean, very fucking dated, like like the crime database where they're going through every possible sound, you know, trying to find the right one. It, yeah, exactly. And, and uh, um, I think it it's funny that they brought that the police brought, even though he he had been pointed out as a suspect. You know, they they even brought him back to the to the uh, you know to kind of see the inner workings of the crime lab and everything like that. I thought that was pretty funny too. Well, I I, I think they were just kind of. I don't think he was ever. I mean, I know they said you know he was a suspect, but I never got the impression no, that no, in right. They they you know they knew that. I mean, he was a person of interest, I guess. Absolutely. And, you know, and then he starts uncovering things that, you know, kind of help them out. So, you know, I, mm-hmm. I can kind of see it by that point in the movie. But when, when this, some of the scenes just like, all right, for instance, when the cops do finally show up and uh, Eva is laying there bleeding and they're interrogating him, like she's going to <laughs> offer something, you know, you know, offer something <laughs> relevant. It's like get right. her ass in the fucking ambulance and get her out of there before she bleeds to death. And <laughs> She's they're, and they're like, bleeding all over. And they're like, well, you know, we, we, we'll wait and see if she has something to contribute to this interrogation before we fucking get her to the goddamn hospital. <laughs> right. It's like, it's like, okay, come on, you know, did she really even need to be in that scene? 
Well, our, I mean, is that is that just because we've seen so many episodes of SVU and, and other shows like that, that that I would even think about that? And, you know, maybe for its time, that's how shit worked for all I know. You know, who knows? Yeah, but we, keep I, the, we keep the victim laying here bleeding until well, we're sure we've secured the scene. <laughs> well, listen, listen, I was I was a very young boy in, in 1970. And listen, I don't want to make any any assumptions. OK, you know, I. Listen, I didn't know shit back then. Maybe they didn't know shit back then. <laughs> I, I don't know. I I think they knew enough that, okay, all this red shit they... coming out of her chest, <laughs> we might want to get her to the hospital because that, that might be bad. You know, you know what? Were you saying you're better than them, dude? Come on. Uh, I'm I'm just saying you know, that maybe you know, these days we're a little more sophisticated. Potentially. Potentially. I mean, I don't know. I mean, fuck, just let her bleed. Who cares? Fuck it. Uh, well, I don't know. I don't know how much more we want to talk about the plot. I, you know, it, it's it's interesting. There, you know, of course, there's twists. There's, uh, you know, the like I said, a lot of the giallo uh, conventions. Yeah. You know, yeah, all the trappings of the giallo are in this movie, and you know. And to be honest with you, it's like, in my opinion, if you like Tenebrae or if you like Deep Red, you're. I think that uh, you're gonna. You're. If you know what to. If you. If you can. If I going into this movie, if I would have known it's gonna be just like that, knowing what to expect, you know. Well, since I did, that's kind of feel I got in the in the early you know goings on of the movie. It, you know, I really enjoyed the movie just because it's like, uh, you know, it had the same look and feel, and of course it's Argento. You know, I really like the show. I, I really like the movie, but uh, it's it's not one that's gonna you know change my life in in or blow my mind. Well, I think I think with this movie, you know, we are going back to you know his first uh, directorial. No, absolutely, absolutely. Uh-huh. And you know, again, right out of the bat, you know, like we saw with Baba, you know, here's here's a guy that you've been kind of hanging around the industry for a while, and when mm-hmm. he finally did get a chance to make his own movie, you know, he knew what he was going for, and pulled it off. Now later on, of course, you know, Argento would you know get better at it, you know, right with. Deep Red probably being you know the one that's a true masterpiece, mm-hmm. but this this movie is, and like I said, you know I can take or leave the Giallo subgenre. Yeah, you take her. I can take I can take or leave Argento, but you know not having seen this movie in seven eight years and you know watching it for the show, I immediately drug out my copy of uh, Suspiria and Tenebrae and Deep Red and laid them here to watch when I get a chance you know, to revisit them. Just because you know, yeah, this this was a a very good movie, and it, it kind of got me in, it kind of got me uh, in the mood to check out some revisit some of these other classes. Yeah, I I totally see I totally see that. Uh, let let me ask you the most important question though. Sure. Argento or Fulci? Oh, you know where I stand on that. I lo- fucking love Fulci. Uh, oh man. I mean, he is—he is, he is not the—he is not the fucking master that fucking uh, Argento is. He's—he's he's not the master that Bava is. But uh-huh. I enjoy his movies just because. I mean, he's doesn't pull any fucking punches. You know, he's going to fucking show you the gross-out moments, and they're just a fucking blast. And <laughs> uh, you know, 
If I can sum it up in three words, zombie versus shark. You know what? You are not the first person to say that to me this week. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Well, because on Facebook I saw a T-shirt that uh, had uh, Team Fulci on it, and it had a picture of Lucio on the front, and there was one with Team Argento, you know. Um, but uh, it, it was pretty funny. You know, I, I would say I'd, I'd, I would go with uh, Team Argento, but I don't know. Maybe I need to I, – I feel like I've seen a greater portion of Fulci's movies than I have of uh, Argento. Maybe if I saw them all, I might change my mind. But – Anyhow, yeah, I mean, it, I mean, we're talking about you know, we're almost talking apples and oranges here, but you know, yeah, it, I, it, the, the fact that they're Italian and made movies in the same era, you know, is probably the the only things really, you know, that that uh, makes it them uh, comparable, you know, yeah, because yeah. the well, movies well, are you... definitely not the same. Right, Fulci is more well, you know, Fulci's horror movies are definitely more horror movies. Whereas, whereas uh, Argento is uh, suspense movies, and it wasn't until we get to what uh, fuck the one with Jennifer Connelly, uh, Shivers. Oh, uh, phenomena or creepers? Phenomena. Creepers, creepers. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. Why the fuck did I say Shivers? Because that's what I'm giving brain. you right now with my sexy voice. You know, baby. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the creepers. You know, had kind of. You know, he didn't really get into the supernatural element until later on. Yeah. So, but yeah, Fulci, I consider you know his horror movies to be horror movies, Argento's to be thrillers. Yeah, and I, and I can buy that. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and well, to me, I just prefer these kind of wild, over-the-top, gross-out moments. To you know, and it just depends on what mood I'm in. Oh, and that's and that's a big thing because watching Suspiria is definitely a different experience than watching the gates of hell. Oh, uh, yeah. So <laughs> no comparison there. Yeah. Oh, sweet man. You have anything else for, uh, this flick? Uh, no, just, uh, I, I don't know. There, one thing that's kind of, kind of bugging me because, okay. All right. Cause you know, we're talking about, you know, Argento kind of maybe being past his prime, his best days behind him. Uh-huh. Uh, Deep Red is actually slated for a remake, and uh, and do you know who the director attached is? I do not. George Romero. What? I swear Are to God. Are you serious? I am. I'm pretty sure I fucking read that. Let, oh wow! Let me let me look this up. <laughs> okay. You are right, dude. Holy crap! That's bizarre. Yeah. And, I mean, this one really has me fucking worried, considering, you know, where Romero's gone the past few years. You right. know, taking Taking on, you know, a, a true fucking great fucking movie. Right. Uh, well, I'm, just remember I'm that he really can't take fucking, it away. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm really fucking worried about this one. You know, I hope, keep, you know, I, I'm... Like a lot of people, you know, I'd love to see one more great Argento movie, one more great Romero movie, mm-hmm. but I just don't know that you know, this is going to be it because how can you improve on Deep Red? Well, and I'm I'm going to be. I just have not liked anything that Romero's done in quite some time. Yeah, like, so, really like. I mean, I the last thing I thought was decent was Land of the Dead, but but that wasn't. I didn't think that was great. 
I thought it was entertaining, but it was no. Well, sure. Either. I mean, it ju- it just hurts that I mean, and I'm you could put me into the camp of oh, we should revere Romero as this god because you know he's awesome. Oh, but that's not fair to the movies like Land of the Dead. Maybe it's not, but I mean his in his prime. I mean, even with movies like Martin. Martin you know, is a fucking I love those movie. movies. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I don't know. Maybe maybe if he would have remade it back in those days, of course, uh, <laughs> the remake would have come out a few years after the original, if that were the case. But, hmm, bummer. Yeah, but, the, I mean, that, that wasn't unheard of in throughout, like, the 40s and 50s and 60s. You know, five years right. go down the road, we'll, we'll remake a movie and just... They change the setting and stuff. Uh huh. But I mean, well, I don't. Suspiria is being remade too, huh? Interesting. Is it? Is it really? Well, it's slated as in development, but wow, cool. I uh, just don't know what to think about that. I wonder who's attached <laughs> to it. Uh, there's no details on IMDb yet. So. Oh man! Wow. Okay. So uh, we're we're gonna. Uh, Get to see Argento get the remake treatment here. It's a little daunting, but I don't know. I, I'm not. I wouldn't say that I'm. I don't know. Can you can you really be pissed off anymore if there's a bad remake? Because really, if you got pissed off every time a bad remake came out, you know you would you would have shot up the post office by now. If oh, my yeah. name is Vaughn. Vaughn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm. I mean, I, basically, I'm at the point if I get to see a good movie. I'm ecstatic. And no kidding. If, if I'm, I mean, and if I'm watching a bad movie, then it's like, okay, try to find something entertaining in it. But it's it's just so fucking hard anymore. You know what? I feel like I have a, a somewhat of a of something going for me here is that there are so many movies that I have not seen yet that are good and maybe older and are big classics that I still have yet to uh, enjoy for the first time. So, you know. <laughs> And the, I that's still something go back that, and see that. Well, that's that's one of the reasons why I enjoy doing this segment with you so much is is the fact that you know some of these movies I haven't seen in years, and I'd certainly rather watch The Bird with the Crystal Plumage again than say, uh, you know, the new Nightmare on Elm Street remake. That hurt, that hurt my feelings that you said that because I always thought you liked doing this because of my bollocks. <laughs> was it was that was that a correct usage of that word? I'm really trying hard, okay. And I appreciate that, and I'm sure our friends across the Atlantic do the same. <laughs> well, if even I guess, if they I were, I guess a... we'll, I guess we'll find out when uh, the next voicemail we get from Zoe. <laughs> like, oh, you My yank- goodness! You wanks are you fucking yanks are a bunch of wankers. Oh man, that's awesome! <laughs> cool, man. Cool. Appreciate you being on the show as usual. Had a great time. It's always a pleasure, my friend. Hey, guys. Gracie's Poppy. How's it going? Just want to bring everybody up to date with what's been going on at the forums lately. Uh, I've been posting up links to the artists that Shane has been highlighting in the Ear Fear segments. So if, like me, you're enjoying what you're listening to, you need to click on the links. It'll bring you up to their websites uh, so you can get more information from them. And some of them have songs playing streaming on their sites. Uh, now, Shane can do a far better job than I can at this because he knows a hell of a lot more about these bands than I do. But he has to become a member so he can post shit. So there you go, Shane. I'm laying down the uh, – I'm throwing down the gauntlet. Join up. <laughs> Sorry. 
Uh, also, you know, I got links up to the Quips Collective and just about everything that you know family members of the former are doing, like uh, Johnny T and Spooky Bill, Gray. Although Gray's starting to do it himself, which is wonderful. That's what you guys should be doing anyway. Uh, Misfit Boy, you got to start putting links to your uh, movie Madness, all right? I'm only now going up to you too, bitch. <laughs> also, we got there's they're posting up a uh, British slang dictionary, so then you can understand what the hell all of our British fans are saying when they're uh, calling in their voicemails. And that's about it. You guys got to start joining up and get involved with the stuff. We we have a couple new members, and I'm very thankful for that. But it's not quite the floodgates that I've been hoping for. So join up, people. And I'll talk to you later. Bye. will spread pestilence and contaminate the world. Remember that inscription outside? They will make cemeteries, their cathedrals, and tombs, your cities. Hey, your cheek's bleeding. You must have scratched yourself when you took the mask off. The first movie we're going to be talking about today is Opera. It was uh, it came out in 1987. You are invited to enjoy an evening of terror. Yeah. <laughs> 
to close your eyes. You'll tear them apart, so you'll just have to watch everything. She is the captive audience. They are the unreversed players. Evil is the true star. And no matter how hard you try, you won't be able to close your eyes. Director Dario Argento brings fear. Don't leave me alone. I'm afraid. Passion. Obsession. I can take you. And murder to a perfect pitch. composed by various artists. Um, however, most of the credit usually goes to Claudio Simonetti. Um, in fact, uh, when the movie was re-released, it actually was released with a... There was a limited edition with the CD. Um, it's actually the copy that I have um, that has Simonetti's score, but then it has reworkings of uh, pieces from the score that he's done you know, since with other uh, music projects he's been in, as well as it has the music that uh, Still Grave did um, if you watch the movie, the Still Still Grave is the uh, amazing rock band that plays. Interestingly, they play during uh, both times. There's the pin in the eye torture, and when they're uh, running in the mountains, that's actually a really interesting scene. At the very end of the movie, there's kind of this this scene. What's going on is not you know a happy, uh, beautiful thing, but what you're actually looking at is the woman running. Um, up on the mountainside, it's this beautiful mountainside. It's like watching Sound of Music. Visually, it's beautiful. But what you're listening to is this heavy metal, you know, just pounding away. And what's actually going on is, you know, anything but uh, Sound of Music. The music throughout the movie is mostly um, provided by actual operas. Um, and this isn't just some, you know, opera stuff they just made up for the movie. Um, which occasionally happens, in fact when they did the movie, uh, Hans Zimmer did the movie uh, Hannibal. Uh, there was an opera in that in which was composed and used in that movie, but it's not really an opera that's available anywhere else. As for the operas used in this movie, uh, it's some pretty heavy shit. Argento was not messing around. This is some legit Italian operas, and it's some of the finest pieces. In fact, the pieces that they chose here were chose specifically because these are some hard ones to sing. It's supposed to provide the audience, if they know anything about opera, with the sense that this singer, this uh, this diva, is this phenomenal singer. The idea with opera, especially Italian opera, uh, culturally, there's a lot of aspects in it, but in Italian culture, especially with their opera, and it bleeds into movies as well, there is the expectation that things should be virtuistic, just insanely hard to do. Uh, that goes into their uh, soloist artists with uh, classical music, uh, even modern, more contemporary music, but especially in opera. The singers should be able to do things that are just almost inhuman with their voice. However, they can never actually show that it's hard to do. They have to look like 
they're not even singing. They have to look like they're completely relaxed. It's, it's ridiculous. It's insane how much training you have to go through to get to that point. But they're trying to give you the sense that this main character can actually pull that shit off. Even though, I mean, we all know that she's lip syncing. She's not actually singing any of it. Any of it. But the lip syncing is much better than it was in Argento's uh, Phantom of the Opera. That lip syncing is ungodly horrible. It's like watching Hannah Montana sing. It's just pure shit. So the other thing with the opera as well that's expected is that the set design or something about it, everything has to be just spectacular, just huge. Um, and that is something that's also very interesting in Italian cinema because you kind of see those things bleed into the, the, the movie, the stories. Um, and Argento is Italian. I mean, he's the perfect Italian when it comes to his movie making. He incorporates these Italian elements so well into his stories. He always has these characters that, you know, are, are virtuoso somehow. You know, they, they somehow do something just so amazing, yet they can make it look effortless. You know, whether it's his killer that's this incredible, just precise killer, but... You know, it's it's not like a struggle for him to do this stuff. He just does it. Uh, something else he always incorporates is these childlike elements, you know, with the, um, a childlike character, whether it's actually a child or um, usually uh, a, one of his lead female roles has a very childlike innocence. That's just something he does quite a bit. With that as well, there's always that Freudian kind of uh, character screwed up from their childhood, whether it's the killer, which it usually is, or um, someone associated with the story, you know, or the main character. Those elements are definitely here, you know, existing within this, uh, this movie. And so usually uh, Argento is going to tap into those things, and he would usually use uh, Goblin or Simonetti to do those things, to bring those out in the score, whether it be through like a little waltz or something. However, this is a different uh, approach to it. Um, most of the background music, the score is Claudio Simonetti or it's Brian and uh, Roger Eno. Um, and it's very low key kind of in the background um, electronic music, except for the main theme. Uh, the main theme doesn't come into the story until uh, the main character is in the phone booth. And from there, that's when the main theme will come in. And you'll hear that reoccur a few times throughout the movie and end the movie, actually. But for the most part, opera music is what comes in there. And like I said, he's definitely tapping into this whole idea that she's an amazing singer. So he's using some of the finest opera pieces, um, these great arias. Most of the score, though, since it is really subdued, it almost sounds like a Vangelis or a Tangerine Dreams score. It's not as virtuistic as you're used to hearing from uh, Simonetti or from Goblin. It really is kind of a background thing. And so it's, it makes this movie kind of feel a lot different. It doesn't have these extremes uh, musically as much as a lot of the other movies uh, he's done. Claudio Simonetti was uh, actually born in Brazil. Um, however, he moved to Rome and studied there at a conservatory. He has a classical background um, as a keyboardist. Phenomenal musician. Um, in fact, when he uh, joined up with Goblin, they're all just pretty amazing musicians. It's, it's just cool to see um, within his music, uh, the people he was playing with, to see that they were really pushing these boundaries. And it works great to have somebody like that in film uh, working with uh, Argento, who's really visually pushing boundaries, you know, and especially with his stories, really kind of taking his core elements, but kind of 
moving them around a little bit. What's nice, though, is that Simonetti, um, even the Eno brothers and um, Simonetti, what's nice is the fact that they understand where they're at um, with the music and that their music uh, is mainly very background, very Pulse-like, nothing incredibly um, melodic, with the exception of that main theme. But it really is just supporting visually what's going on uh, to create tension or to kind of push the story along. But really the main thing in this movie is going to be all that opera music, which then makes this movie for um, Westerners, for America, a little bit less um, approachable, if you will, because the subjects that they're dealing with here with uh, opera has such a cultural root that doesn't exist here in America. So obviously for uh, an American watching this movie, there's a bit of a disconnect, but he's taking something, you know, phenomenally, uh, you know, rooted in culture and, uh, you know, incorporating that into the horror. It's not unlike you know, if you think back to the 70s and 80s when uh, kids going to camp, like a summer camp, was a big deal. That was something that was part of our culture. Taking something like that and incorporating it into a horror movie is a big deal. That has some resonance. Um, you can picture that. You can see that culturally in, you know, your life and you can relate to it somehow. So with Italian uh, cinema goers at this time, he was taking something that that resonated with uh, the viewers, um, and so it was. It's a really smart move what he's doing. Of course, for Americans, it, it might not hit home as much as it will for Italians. But it's a really neat thing that he's doing here in uh, shaping his story around opera. And I mean, let's be honest: there are some hot chicks, and uh, you know what? There are some gorgeous guys in this. I'm not going to overlook them. They're uh, they're handsome in a very, you know, kind of fuckable way. I wouldn't just, I'm not saying just jump into it, you know, have a few wine coolers for, have a Zima, lay back, enjoy the ride. Overall, it's really a mixed bag when it comes to the music in this movie. But unfortunately, because of that, this movie lacks development musically. Um, and there's only the return of the main theme. There's real no movement with it. Um, and so you'll find throughout this movie, it kind of has that stagnant feel to it because it just wanders around this core element. But it's a phenomenal movie. It does what it's supposed to. Excellent. And uh, Argento still kicks ass. I'd do him and his comb over. Directed and written by, guess what? Guess who? Dario Argento. Um, that's because we're doing a, his gaggle of giallos. <laughs> Uh, star, uh, IMDb gave it a 7.1. It's starring Christina Marsalach as Betty, Ian Charleston as Marco, Daria Nicolodi as Mira, Urbano Barberini. Urbano Barberini. That sounds like someone and, from Welcome Back, Cotter. <laughs> yeah, it's Inspector Santini. That sounds like someone from Welcome Back, Cotter, too. Um, so, uh, yeah, basically, uh, this film uh, opens up in an opera house where a horror movie uh, director is actually trying his hand at putting together a, a version of Macbeth, of uh, the opera. Um, and basically what he's doing is he's putting together, you know, kind of a, a I guess more of a, 
I don't know, what do you call it, a non-traditional version of it where there's crazy lightings, there's real ravens all around the stage, and all the costumes are, are out of control and all this too, and all this stuff too. Um, well, that pisses off the lead soprano lady who walks off the stage um, just kind of getting pissed at the whole thing, and she actually gets her, she gets hit by a car and breaks her leg. Yeah, she kind of um, had it coming. Oh, she was a dumb bitch. Can oh, I yeah. say that? Oh, yeah. Can I say, can I say that without uh, sounding misogynistic? Because I don't mean it. I mean, you, I'm a dumb bitch too, but you know, okay, that that makes it equal. Um, anyway, she gets so basically what this does is this opens up the the route for uh, Betty, who is her understudy, and uh, Betty is uh, actually she does a phenomenal job. She and she's a big hit with the audience and the reviewers. Everybody seems to love her. Um, however. We notice that, that uh, throughout the movie that uh, she's being watched by a shadowy figure through vents and from dark, dark passageways and you know things like that, uh, um, and all sorts of bad shit starts happening. Um, and it seems to me, it, well, it seems that uh, when people, the, the closer people try to get to Betty, the that's when the real shit starts hitting the fan. That's when the bunch of murders happen, and we'll talk about some of those murders because some of them were excellent. Um, uh, <laughs> Like like I said, it, uh, I mean this is this is basically a giallo. It kind of sticks to a giallo formula. Um, however, it's it's a little bit. Uh, I mean, it's a little. It's not just your. In my opinion, it's not just your. Uh, you know, your average giallo. I mean, it does have the black gloves. It does have the you know the the death stuff and, and things like that. And it is just more or less a murder mystery. Um, however, uh, this film is filled with. Uh, uh, awesome visuals, great death scenes, just dreamy, surreal type of scenes, things like that. Um, in fact, uh, let me describe the, the, the death scenes, though, real quick. And, and like I said, I, I, I don't really want to get too much into the, the plot because, I mean, it, it, like I said, it's a murder mystery, and I, and I don't want to inadvertently give anything away or anything like that. But let me let me talk a little bit about uh, how the, the murderer does his or her job. See how I did that? Oh, I said his or her. I throw him off. Exactly. Um, basically, what happens is, uh, for instance, there was a guy. There was a guy who was uh, trying to make the moves on Betty, and Betty is the first woman in a movie, by the way, that I think has erectile dysfunction. What? Because for, because for some reason they're talking, and she's like, "I'm sorry, I cannot perform," you know, and whatever. I, she didn't talk like that at all. I don't know why I felt like I needed to bring that accent to the table, <laughs> but uh, so I figured she was just having the, uh, you know, the the unfortunate. Erectile dysfunction thing. Anyway. Oh, see, I, I was just thinking Activia. Oh, maybe. <laughs> that, yeah, because when you got to take a shit, it's hard to perform. She can perform her duties. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you know what would help uh, suction that shit out, don't you? Oh, what's that? Butt sex. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, gosh dang. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Anyways, basically what the killer does is he, he uh, chooses a time, for instance, when, when she's about to, to do it with this guy. He walks to the bathroom or he goes and gets changed or something like that. So she's by herself. What he does is while she's by herself, the killer walks in and ties her up with a rope to a like a column. Ties her, ties her up, you know, gives her a gag so she can't scream or anything. And then what he does is he tapes um, some, uh, basically what it is is some pins that are taped 
to you know put on some tape and then put on below her eye and so that all the points are pointing up and if she were to close her eyes that um you know the 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 pins would obviously you know puncture well supposedly that's how it works that she couldn't you know she it, it made her unable to close her eyes and not watch what was going on which by the way is a metaphor for how argento feels about people who go to watch his movies and close their eyes at the scary parts oh yeah that's awesome and uh, yeah. that that visual that uh, you know it's even on the dvd uh, for this movie oh yeah but that that visual of uh, it's it's so awesome like I had never seen anything like that before in a movie. Like, it's just it's so original. Well, and the thing is, is it's I mean, and it's not even like it was practical because I mean, there were even a little shots where she blinked real quick or whatever, you know. Yeah. And uh, you could tell that if she were to blink, you know, it, it just in some, you know, in some quick shots or whatever that she could actually blink, um, you know, without getting hammered. But uh, but like you said, that visual and the way that uh, Argento filmed that part, and you know, in in the different expressions that were on Betty's face, it were outstanding. Oh, it sold Freaking it. Freaking awesome. Oh, absolutely. You know, um, and, uh, and and that that's only the first part. I mean, the, the second part of the, the whole killing scenes is some of those deaths were sadistic as hell. Oh, they're great. You know, I mean, you know, and it's funny because um, and, and stop me if you disagree with me, but this movie, it was, you know, I mean, it, it, it I guess it was a, I mean, it, not really a unique plot. I mean, there was, you know, it's it, it's if you if the Phantom of the Opera and um, a regular, and let's say just something like uh, Deep Red or Tenebrae were to have sexual intercourse and um, were to have a baby. This is probably what would come out, you know. So, I mean, it's not, I mean, you know, because you have the whole opera thing, which, by the way, was awesome because it gave the opportunity for great set pieces and, you know, and great, um, you know, available weapons, things like that. But anyway, or, you know, just, just environments, atmosphere, whatever. But uh, the, I, in my and tell me if you think this in my opinion the story was almost secondary to um putting together a sequence of visuals that really sold this movie and made this freaking awesome i can i can see that just because it did seem like the things you remember most about this movie are the deaths and things like that like mm-hmm. you know and all the torture they're not i, I guess torture she's tied up with nails in her eyes yeah but but when you say torture you're not talking about like uh like freaking hostile torture no. porn or stuff like that. No, I but no, I, I I agree with that. But I do think that there were several parts of the movie that were a little. I think they were above average story wise. Like uh, the whole thing with, um, you know, when Daria Nicolodi comes to her apartment, and mm-hmm. there's there's supposedly a cop outside that she had let in, and then mm-hmm. they go to check on him. He's dead. You know, but like who did she let into her apartment? That kind of thing. Right. I think stuff like that was cool because, you know, it, it just... It well, just... I think... No, I think the scenes were great. I think... But but what I mean when I say that, I'm talking about the overarching storyline, meaning... Oh, know, yeah, it was average. Uh, you know, and but and, and listen, I think that the, I think that it was a, re- a well-written movie um, set up for these individual scenes within a you know maybe a somewhat uh, not very original uh, overarching story. But like but like you said, I mean, there were a lot of little scenes in there that that were really really solid. 
that were really outstanding to look at. But then there were a couple of scenes, um, especially during the wrap up, you know, because every giallo has to have their wrap up scene, you know, and oh, here's why the killer did what he or she did, blah, blah, blah. I think it, they kind of strung it together a little bit and it was, maybe it was a little threadbare. But you know what? That honestly, that did not have any impact on me as far as how much I liked the movie just because of the way that, uh, that everything was set up. Oh, no way. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. Um, did, were you going to get into some of the deaths more, like when she's tied up and her boyfriend gets it? No, why, why don't you do that? I've been talking my ass off. Oh, well, um, well, she's tied up to the pillar, and she's got the pins against her eyes, so she can't shut them. And her boyfriend walks back in, and he's confused as to why she's tied up. And all of a sudden, you see a damn like <laughs> knife go through the bottom of his like chin into his uh-huh. mouth. And I, I don't remember anything but that. Like I remember he just got that <laughs> knife in the bottom of his damn Oh, yeah. And it sounded like the killer did a lot of cutting and stuff, but... Um, well, and you also had the... <laughs> noises. Yeah. That was really gross. That wasn't Johnny jerking off, guys. That was no. me making a sound effect. Not again. Okay. <laughs> but then there's a scene later in the movie where they find a bracelet that is, you know, somehow linked to the killer on one of the... Um, on one of the... What? One of the costumes from the set? Uh-huh. And while they're going to check it out, he does the same... The killer does the same thing to her. Ties her up, puts her in like a glass case with the pins on her eyes and makes her... Oh, that's right. And her friend comes back and doesn't understand what's going on. And her friend, instead of, you know, really fighting off the killer or running or anything like that, she's more obsessed with getting this chain, which ultimately ends up in her dying. And right. that one, that's the kill in this movie that got me the most as far <laughs> as far as like sound effects because the girl ends up swallowing the chain and he grabs a pair of like costume scissors, like just right. big old shears, and starts cutting. And and you don't see it; you just hear the crunch of him mm-hmm. cutting. And it actually sounds like what that probably would sound like if you cut to, into it, someone's like upper, like yeah, like above the ribs. To make it worse, dude, she kind of looked like Winnie from the Wonder Years. <laughs> so I was like totally into that, and all of a sudden she gets all mutilated. Gross. Okay. That was Coralina. Uh, uh, what's it, Tasani Cataldi? I don't know. She's awesome. She's in a lot of Argento stuff. Oh yeah. Um, and by the way, uh, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna save it. I almost gave away one of my who else said that, but uh, I'm I'm gonna try to be good and uh, save him for the actual segment. Word. But um, I don't know. This the, the movie is gorgeous. The music in this. Let's see who. Let's see. Was this? And you got to realize that we, since I watched three Argento movies right in a row, and uh, they were all giallos, it's like um, it was hard to. Uh, it, 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 and I was talking to Johnny. I kept falling asleep during him because I started him too late, and so ha- not only was is Argento a dreamlike puts you in a dreamlike state, but I probably was. So I was doing a little bit of mixing up between the three. However, I think did uh, was this a movie that the Goblins did? Yep. Uh, yep. Um... Claudia Simonetti and Goblin did this, and the along it was funny because there was like some kind of he I don't know I don't really know how you would describe his music because or, or even the Goblin's music I mean maybe a little bit prog I don't know maybe maybe you can get away with that but I don't I just I, I it's unclassifiable and some of the some of my favorite parts were when um, actually there were there was some opera singing mixed in you know. In, in between some of uh, the, the music that the goblins put in. 
And, you know, it was just so, it was, to me, it just kind of made an impression as if, uh, you know, because, I mean, the singing in this, even the opera singing was 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 kind of unbelievable. I mean, I'm not a big opera fan or anything like that, so maybe it's just normal. But the, the singing voices on those people, um, especially some of the women, those are sounds that I haven't uh, heard since I last pleasured a woman. <laughs> no, but real, but I'm serious. I wasn't just setting up a joke there or anything like that. No, Gob- I mean, that- Goblin, I mean, they use that again, the uh, the opera thing in uh, Phenomena, and I, that theme is one of my favorites of all time. Like, I, I just, uh-huh. I love the theme from Phenomena because they use the the heavy progressive rock sound, but they have the girl uh, doing the opera thing over it. That was awesome. You know, and, and to go back and forth, it, it was just really, it was outstanding. Um, I don't know. Uh, I really like this movie. I don't want to give too much away. And it's hard to describe all the visuals and do them justice at all. No, I just, I think something we ought to mention is is um, for them to kind of figure out who the killer is, they do kind of set up one of the one of the uh, stagings of the show to where, oh right, because they think maybe the bird will remember. Because at some point, the killer breaks in and he, he destroys her costume, and the birds see him, and they say the birds, you know, remember, and he kills right. one of them. So, and I think that's kind of something that's kind of neat how they set that up at the end, where maybe the, <laughs> maybe the bird will, and that shot of the bird flying around the theater is amazing. That's wild. It and, is so and, awesome. And it's funny because I was actually watching um, Dario Argento and I for Horror and uh, uh, today at work. And basically they, they showed the contraption that they set up to get that shot. It's like a freaking huge like crane type of thing hanging from the ceiling. It's, it was it was it, amazing. It's shots like that that make Dario Argento the like horror icon that he is. Well, except for in Trauma, we did get a, uh, we did get a butterfly point of view. Which there, is a little strange. <laughs> when we get to trauma, there's some things I'll mention because because uh, I don't. We'll get to we'll get to that. Yeah. Okay. Because, yeah. Because I have a lot of complaints about some of the stuff in that. Mm-hmm. But um. Uh. But no. Again, just to kind of sum it up a little bit. Uh, a gorgeous film that has some awesome surreal dreamlike imagery. Um. That that is definitely takes uh for uh, takes precedence over the story you know almost like i said it's almost uh, arbitrary who the killer is they you know they try to set up some uh red herrings and, and things like that and whatever but all in all i love this movie and uh i don't know what would you give it i would give this a bone saw i give it a bone saw what what <laughs> yeah did you read that um that the actress the main lady in this christina was it marcillich marcillich whatever uh-huh, uh-huh. uh that she was the most difficult actress the Argent has ever worked with. I did, I did read that, and it, she seems so nice in real life. Maybe she's just acting. Yeah, which is well, funny because when, when, when I say to... in real life, I mean in the movie. In the so movie, it's actually not real life. <laughs> well, it's really funny because once we get to trauma, um, actually, he said the same thing about Duraf as an actor. Oh, really? And Duraf, he, he did. He, wasn't even in it very much. Yeah, I mean, and he said he was just he just was really hard to work with. But but I get that from him because he you know he's an Oscar you know, a nominated actor at a young age and it seems like he might have that air about him. Huh, maybe. But I love huh. Duraf, so he was in Chucky. Uh, exactly. Dude, des- dude deserves respect, even though this was uh... no, this was after Chucky. Yep, well, it was around the same time. Anyway, uh, the memory count on this was two. Two. Yeah, it was the uh, the girl in the flashback scenes. I'm trying to remember when it shows like the the first person stuff of the killer walking through halls and all that. 
I don't remember. Anyway, that's cool. It was quick. I'll it go, wasn't like a I'll, I'll go back and check it out. Trust me. <laughs> okay. Um, did you get a kick in the balls for this one? Oh my gosh. Um, you know what? I I <laughs> I like this movie so much, and every kick in the balls that I came up with, I kind of felt like it was a little nitpicky. So I didn't I didn't force it. Mine is a little nitpicky too, but I'm still giving it out. I'm dishing Let's this one. It. Let's hear it. Julia, the girl who is obsessed with getting that chain. Uh huh. She is so damn like when the kill she hits the killer and knocks like knocks him down with something. Uh-huh. The chain falls on the ground and she like crawls on her hands and knees and scurries for this bracelet. When she gets up, the killer throws like something and hits her in the back like something hard. It looked really painful, right? And thus causing her death. Now, if she wasn't so obsessed with the stupid ass chain, she could have lived probably. But it did it did give us an awesome death. So that, that was awesome. I give her the kick in the balls just for, you know, not living. She could have lived if she wasn't such a dumbass. Oh, come on. But she no, is good. smoking hot no, in real life right now. So. Is she really? Oh, man. She is a cougar. Wow, dude. Oh, yeah. Like, I like her. You, really? Oh, yeah. I had to check her out. It's, that's Winnie, you know. <laughs> Winnie Cooper. She looks like Winnie Cooper. And her Mini Cooper. Uh, good one. Did you learn anything from this? I learned so much shit from this. Oh. First of all, ravens are sometimes creepy, but most of the time annoying with their squawking. Oh, really annoying. <laughs> uh, Jigsaw had a job before the Saw series because the killer just sounded exactly like him. <laughs> do you want to play a game? <laughs> I can't. Bo- <laughs> I, was like, I was like, do you want to play a game, boy? <laughs> <laughs> no, that wasn't him at all. Um, oh, yeah, apparently Betty has erectile dysfunction. Yeah, that was it. Um, and also, the last thing I learned was some killers treat gloves like condoms. They double wrap when there's an especially dirty, quote-unquote, job to do. <laughs> hey. There, there a, you go. A tug job's a, do- a job, too. Easy. Um, I learned a few things. I learned that irons can be great throwing weapons, which go- oh, bring, yeah. brings us back to that scene because it was a damn iron, I guess. Um, <laughs> always have always have a battery-powered stereo so I can listen to music while being stalked by a murderer. Excellent. Like, did you notice that? Like, the power yeah. goes out and she turns the damn battery power on. <laughs> How about we worry first, about living? First things first, okay? She needs to get her fill of the 18s. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And last, I learned that creepy kids and air vents can be a lifesaver. Absolutely. That kid creepy, actually... Hell creepy I- girls who show up what? Oh, from a different apartment or whatever? Yeah. Oh, it's like, what the fuzz... I would freaking have fumigated that the whole area if I knew a kid was up there crawling Big around. Giant rat, <laughs> stupid little girl. Anyway, <laughs> any else who any who else said that? I do. Um, it never takes its beady eyes off me. Uh, that was Elmo when Grover was peeping into his or her dressing room. I don't know. If, I don't know if he's a girl or a boy. Um, <laughs> second, second, this is uh, this is this is kind of an unconventional. Who else said that? But uh, any line that Daria Nicolodi had in this, that was actually Barry White saying it. Because (laughs) she had the lowest voice in the world. Hello. Uh, Don't get killed by the killer. I love you. (laughs) (laughs) And finally, uh, Lady Macbeth was only 17. Um, That was Kip Winger when he tried to bone Lady Macbeth. She's only 17. Well, actually, that's what Lady Macbeth said to Winger, or Kip Winger. <laughs> but still, that works. Nice. All right, what do you got? Um, let's see. I always jerk off before I shoot a scene. That was that was Mr. Rogers. 
<laughs> you know what's funny is that was an actual line. Yeah, yeah, that was that was in the it was in the movie. And uh, last, I have "Don't cry, Betty. Don't cry." That was Barney to Betty Robel after Bam Bam beat the shit out of her. Oh, hey, he didn't know his strength when he when he hit puberty, and he just knocked her the hell through the wall. Well, at least he didn't say when he was coming out of the womb and like started bam bam, but right down the the birth canal. That's that's one we should use on the uh, the I always jerk off before I shoot a scene. That's one we should use for the the who else said that for people to guess. Ooh, I would like to hear that, other ones for that. That's a good one. That that okay yeah so so officially say say the line say I always jerk off before I shoot a scene. <laughs> that's the first one. We'll have about two or three. Oh, oh okay cool. Um, all right, so I got a six degrees for this. Okay. Uh, William McNamara, who played Stefano, that was the guy that got the uh, thing up through the bottom of the chin or whatever. Um, he was in Aspen Extreme with Peter Berg, who was in Copland with Robert Patrick, who's in Dust Till Dawn 2 with Bruce Campbell. Nice. Sweet, dude. You got anything else? No, that's all I got, man. All right, so uh, we'll take a quick break, and we'll be right back with Trauma. Sweet. Visit www.thefearinside.com, where you'll find written reviews, video reviews, horror podcasts, and the science of zombies. If this one doesn't scare you, you're already dead. Find your fear at www.thefearinside.com. Welcome to a night of total terror. When his bloody scalpel probes the forbidden secrets of a woman's flesh. The dead will live on living flesh. Good evening, folks, and welcome back to another edition of It Came from the Public Domain. We're going to do Dario Argento this week. Now, Argento actually has four movies in the public domain that I'm aware of. Unfortunately, uh, most of them have already been covered on Cadaver Lab with uh, Mike and Sam, and then Mike and Stephen are going to go over one of the other ones today, so um, I'm left with Creepers, a.k.a. Phenomena. Uh, Fortunately, that is uh, probably my favorite Argento. It may be not quite as popular with me after the recent viewing, but if it's not the favorite, it's probably at least the second favorite after maybe uh, Tenebrae, which is in the public domain under the name of Unsane. Um, I don't know how, about how much, you know, Argento, uh, everyone else has covered, so I'm not going to give you too much about, you know, his life or whatever, because I'm sure they'll, they'll cover that. Um, his movies are, however, basically, as far as I can tell, I've only seen about seven, maybe eight of those. He either has the... Uh, the Giallos, which are, you know, filmed stylishly, but 
pretty realistically, and then he has the supernatural movies like Suspiria, Inferno, Mother of Tears, that are uh, filmed, well, at least Suspiria and Inferno are, filmed uh, more surrealistic, surrealistically with, you know, different lighting and, uh, you know, vivid colors and that kind of thing. And uh, what uh, what makes Creepers, which is what I'm going to call it because I don't that's what I want to call it. That's what I have it under. What makes Creepers uh, an odd Argento movie is that it's a little mix of both. It's filmed more like the uh, early giallos, like uh, Cat of Nine Tails, Deep Red, and uh, Tenebrae, but it also has a supernatural element. Now, there's none of the, the weird lighting or anything like that in here, so it's basically just a, a giallo with some supernatural elements. Uh, the, the, really, the, the supernatural element is uh, the lead uh, the lead character named uh, Jennifer, which is played by Jennifer Connelly, who you'll probably remember from Labyrinth or maybe Mulholland Drive. Of course, I'm a big comic book. Well, I'm a big, not comic book, but I'm a big Incredible Hulk person, so I remember her as Betty Ross in the uh, often lamented 2003 Hulk movie by Ang Lee. Basically, what what it is is her character has an affinity for insects. She actually has it appears a uh, a psychic link with insects. They can uh, she can they reflect her emotions. Um, at one point, one there's a lightning bug that leads her to somewhere that she needs to go. Um, so that's kind of that's basically plays into the movie. It's not actually a big a part as you would think, but it it does play in there. It does play into a major plot point. It plays into something that happens at the end. And that brings us to another part that's going to be kind of hard to talk about this movie because really my favorite section of the movie, and in my opinion the coolest part of the movie, comes near the end, or in at least the last third of the movie when all the, when all the twists and, and spoilers and that thing would happen. So I can't really talk about my favorite parts of, of this movie without spoiling it for people. So um, the first part is good. I mean, if you like things like uh, Tenebrae, and all this, this isn't quite as bloody as that, or Deep Red. Um, if you like that, you'll enjoy the first part of this movie. But it, things just go wild at the end of the movie. You'll have to, you'll have to see it for yourself. I mean, I can't tell you exactly what happens, but her, her connection with insects coming in, comes into play. There is a, a mutant, or not mutant, but a, a deformed person. There is a, a psychotic killer. There's all kinds of fun. There's a big pit full of rotting corpses and water, so that's fun. That's always good to have in a movie. Um, basically, the story goes that, uh, and although I like Creepers a lot, it the story is and the setting is quite similar to Suspiria. It focuses on a, an American girl who is the daughter of a rich and slash famous person, in this case, an actor named Paul Corvino. Um, he has put her in this uh, European boarding school, much like Suspiria, although this isn't a, a dance school, it's just a regular school. We only see one class, but it's just like a regular school school. It's not like an art school or anything like that. And uh, there is a crazed killer on the loose who seems to be killing seems to be killing teenage girls. So, actually, the movie starts with uh, a foreign tourist who misses her her bus and goes into the wrong house, and we see something that's chained to the wall, but we don't see what it is. It's just pulling on the chains. It breaks loose, 
And the next thing you know, she's being pursued and murdered and uh, eventually decapitated. Uh, they find her head later. That's where another character comes in. But so basically, so we have the uh, the foreign student at a boarding school and a killer on the loose, and she is kind of caught in the middle and ends up having to try to figure out what's going on. So in that respect, it's a lot like Suspiria. Now, this is a completely, the movie feels very different in tone and uh, and things like that, but the basic premise is quite a bit similar. I know I'm jumping all over the place here, but I'm trying to, to, to talk about the things I want to talk about without spoiling the movie. Um, so what happens is, uh, on top of all this, um, she is also plagued by uh, sleepwalking. Now, on one of her nights sleepwalking, she runs into the scene of, of a murder. She gets away, but she's never quite sure if the killer has seen her or if the killer might be after her now. We find out later that she is in danger when one of her friends take actually her only friend at school, which is kind of like Suspiria, where the girl doesn't get along with people really well. They're kind of mean to her, but she befriends one person. So that's kind of similar to Suspiria also. Um, the girl, her friend borrows her jacket, and because of that ends up a victim of the killer. But on one of her other sleepwalking occasions, she runs into the house of a entomology professor played by Donald, Ple- Donald Pleasance, who's always good in anything he does. Even if this movie wasn't great, uh, which it is, he would elevate any kind of movie up to another level. And uh, apparently he had a, another girl, a teenage girl, that was coming to see him, and she was killed by the killer about a year ago. So he's, you know, still hurt by that. And uh, he kind of befriends this this uh, Jennifer once he realizes what kind of affinity she has for insects, um, and and uh, they develop you know a, a good mentor, just a friendly relationship kind of thing. Well, eventually, another after her friend's murder, she really wants to figure out what's going on. She keeps trying to get her father to to uh, to get her out of school, but you know not having any luck with that yet. But uh, uh, Donald Pleasance's character shows her a certain kind of bug. Uh, what happens is she found at, at the scene of the crime where she saw part of, she found one of the killer's gloves, and inside the glove there were there were these little maggot-type bugs. And she shows them to Donald Pleasance, and he tells her that these are a certain kind of insect that only live in or around decomposing bodies. So his theory is that when the killer, they've never found the body, they just found the head of the one girl, and they, they took it to him to look at the bugs that were in it to see, you know, how long it had been dead based on um, the advancement of the larvae and, and that kind of thing. Um, but he, he theorizes that the killer is keeping the bodies somewhere. So if, with her psychic link to insects, if she can take one of these, a mature version of this bug that lives in, uh, decomposing bodies, that it will lead her to where the bodies are. Well, she she finds a place, but then, you know, things happen, and she doesn't get to investigate fully. And, of course, all this comes into play at the end of the movie, and like I said, I can't I can't spoil it. I want to talk about it because it's like the where all the wild stuff happens. All the pieces start coming together. I mean, literally, the last 20 minutes of this movie are gold, so I can't talk about it, but trust me, if you if you, start, if you want to check it out, even if you don't like the first part, which you probably should if you're into Argeno at all or into Italian movies or whatever, then you should like it. But if you don't, just stick with it until the end and, and at least 
there's some there's some wild stuff in here that that you should probably enjoy. Um, oh, the soundtrack. Uh, along, like a lot of our general movies, a lot of the instrumental soundtrack here is done by Goblin, who you will remember from Deep Red and Suspiria and Phenomenon. Or not Phenomenon, well, Phenomenon, obviously. Uh, Deep Red, Suspiria, Inferno. Not sure about Mother of Tears. Um, I know they, of course, they did uh, one of my favorites that no one talks about, uh, Contamination, which is not Argento, but it's an Italian alien sort of ripoff. Um, of course, Dawn of the Dead. They did all, so all their work here is great. Now the soundtrack is also supplemented, much like uh, the other another Italian um, horror movie, Demons. It's supplemented with American heavy metal groups like Motorhead and Iron Maiden. And although I like those guys, well, Motorhead more than Iron Maiden. I never have been really a really big Maiden fan, but. Um, Although I like those guys, they don't. It seems a little bit out of place. I mean, it's still cool to hear it, but I think they should have just stuck with Goblin, and it would have made uh, for a better soundtrack. But still, still good overall. Now, the the cut I'm talking about tonight is called Creepers. I found it on the Drive-In Movie Classics 50 Movie Pack. Now, of course, Anchor Bay has released a deluxe version of the of a movie called uh, Phenomena, and uh, it is about 28 minutes longer than Creepers. Now you're thinking, 28 minutes, that's a lot to cut. But from what I understand, it's basically just dialogue. There's only just maybe a few seconds of gore here and there that are cut that I know of. And I don't think it amounts to anything substantial. This is a, this is a violent movie, but it is not graphically violent. It has sort of a... I don't know. I've heard I've seen it described online as a fairy tale-like vibe, and I didn't... I never quite got that, but... It's not nearly as violent as some of his other movies, but it's still, I mean, somebody gets stabbed in the back of the head and the blade comes out of their mouth, but it's not, you know, it's not like, it's not Suspiria or Deep Red sort of violence, but it's still violent. I mean, there is a decapitation and all of it. So, uh, hopefully I've piqued your interest. Uh, I'm going to talk just a few seconds longer. I'm not going to cover any plot to these movies because, like I said, these either have been covered already here or they will be covered on this episode, so I don't want to step on anyone's toes. Uh, there are several Argento movies that are available in the public domain. Uh, Cat of Nine Tales, which, I, like I said, I think I think uh, Mike and Steven are going to go over today. I have it on the Suspense Classic 50 movie pack from Mill Creek, and I also have it on, I forget the, the name of the company escapes me, but I can check just a moment. It is on a collection called... I don't have it here, but it's on a collection called Horror Don't Watch Alone. And I found that at actually at Walmart for $5. And it has quite a few good things on there. It has, of course, Night Living Dead because that's on everything. But it has some uh, Nightmare Castle and uh, The She-Beast, a, a really good Barbara Steele movie and a not-so-good Barbara Steele movie. Um, it has uh, The Undertaker and His Pals, which is a lot of fun, which should be showing up on... If it hasn't been on there already, it will be soon on a edition of uh, Friday Night Frights. Um, it has, you know, a few other things on there. It has uh, Dominique is Dead, uh, The Night Evelyn Came Out of the Grave, just, just some good things. Um, so like I said, you can find uh, Cat of Nine Tales on either, that I know of. You can find it on either the uh, Suspense Classics 50 movie pack or the Horror Don't Watch Alone pack. Um, you can probably find it online, too. Um, like I said, there's also a deluxe version of the DVD if you want to check that out. I'm not sure what the difference is. I don't think 
that uh, this one has a reputation of being very violent as far as blood and gore goes. There is violence, of course, but, um, you know, I don't know if anything's cut. I haven't seen the version with these, but both versions I have are the same, so, uh, you know, check it out. Um, Deep Red is available on several, several collections. I have it on... It's also on the Horror Don't Watch Alone set. It is on the Chilling Classics 50 movie pack from Mill Creek. It is on uh, the Bloody Horror collection. It's like a nine movie set from Sinclair Vision. And, um, you know, all of the Prince of Vary, one is called Deep Red, one is called The Hatchet Murders, one is called Deep Red, The Hatchet Murders. Basically, gore level, um, I think, are all about the same. Now, I think the one from the Horror Classics uh, horror, or horror, don't watch alone. I think it includes some of the additional German footage that was put back in in subtitled or Italian, but um, I'm not sure. I haven't really watched that version. But I know the other ones are about the same. Looks to be all the gore is intact. I know that there is, um, and also deluxe versions from Anchor Bay, which I would probably suggest because Argentina's movies are really visual, and you know you want to get the full effect of that if you can. Um, Tenebrae is in the public domain under the name of Unsane. Now, I have that on the Drive-In Classics 50 movie pack. And now I have seen uh, the original version of Tenebrae, and the only thing that I can tell that it's cut is at the end when, spoiler alert, if, but I have to talk about it, when someone gets their arm cut off, uh, you don't see all the arterial spray from that. Now, I don't know if that's because the original version is because is you know, widescreen, and this is the U.S. video version, basically a ripped to DVD, and it is, you know, not widescreen, so I don't know if that is why you don't see it, or I don't know if it was cut out, but it seems to me like everything else is, is intact. Um, and then, of course, Phenomena, uh, a.k.a. Creepers, is public domain that we've been talking about tonight, and it is on the Drive-In Classics also. So, um, that should be your public domain dose of Arduino for this evening. If you wanted to see any of those movies, because I know they're talking about uh, Cat of Nine Tales tonight, and they have talked about Deep Red and Ten Embrace, so you'll have to go back to the archives of uh, Cadaver Lab and find those. But if you want to see any of those, we're going to be doing a whole month of Argento in August for August Argento. And uh, we'll be doing uh, Cat of Nine Tales, Unsane. Deep Red, and Creepers. So just hang on if you want to check it out. It won't cost you anything. You'll be all set. I want to thank, uh, I believe his name was Arden. I'm sorry, I'm looking at the email right now. If if I got your name wrong, I want to thank you and for your feedback. And I want to thank Kruger Dude for his feedback, too. I got a nice bill from him, too. It's good to know that at least a couple couple people are enjoying are enjoying the uh, Friday Night Fright. That's uh, that's why we do it. And uh, to Kruger Dude, I do hope you keep doing your Kruger Nation videos. I, I did enjoy watching them. I think I went back and watched most of the old ones, so uh, just waiting for some new ones. Because I do something at work when you're supposed to be doing stuff. So just uh, whenever you get a chance, do some more of those. And uh, we'll see you next time when it came from the public domain.
All right, Trauma came out in 1993. Each human being's head contains the soul. The one remaining riddle of the universe. Look inside the head, unlock the memory, and the universe lies open like a map. How do you support the Sixteen. Don't want you to take the Rexy. And your friend may be in real danger. She won't let you help her. I mean, she wants you to help her, but she won't. You've got to talk to me! Who's even beyond us and Papa's Believe me, Grace, she needs help. She's a manipulative little psycho. Let her go. I don't think we should be going to this house here. I want to know if you're my parents. I know what they're Big blood red letters. I know who the killer is. The killer is... familiar. I almost never forget a face. This will help you remember everything. The power of your brain and imagination is stronger than a Vulcan. Whenever I go, people get killed. You're not responsible for her death. You're not a murderer. You're... You did it! You did it! You did it! You... Trauma. Score composed by Pino Donaggio. Donaggio is a phenomenal artist, um, an amazing composer. What's interesting about this movie, and um, ask any fan of Argento, and they'll tell you this one is different than his other stuff, and that's mainly because this movie was meant to be more mainstream, more Hollywood, more American. Um, it doesn't feel or play out like the rest of his movies. It lacks so much of the Italian uh, kind of the beauty and the uh, you know the sense that he would put in his other movies just really doesn't shine through here. It's it's downplayed a lot more and much more kind of um, English or even British uh, story elements are, are more evident in in the um, directorial style. It's just kind of interesting. It's an incredibly interesting movie to watch if you're familiar with uh, the rest of Argento's uh, catalog. Um, when you watch this one, it just feels so much different. And it's so interesting to watch where he went uh, and how he took this in a, in a different way. You know, he still kept those core elements, those core things that uh, Argento does, um, but really, you know, embraced this completely different style. Um, so uh, since this movie was meant to be much more um, Hollywood, much more American, um, or British, whichever, much more English. The decision was made to bring in somebody to score it other than uh, Simonetti or somebody like that. And to bring in somebody that had experience in, you know, somebody that he felt comfortable with, but somebody that had experience with this more, this, this different kind of American style, the big Hollywood style of scoring. Uh, so he brings in, uh, Argento brings in Pino Donaggio. Um, Donaggio uh, was a violinist. Uh, very traditional classical background. Um, his training was incredibly um, structured, uh, but he left classical music later on and worked more you know, with contemporary music in Hollywood and with uh, uh, other just composition in music. I believe uh, Donaggio and Argento actually worked together or met uh, when they did Two Evil Eyes. Uh, Donaggio worked on that.
so they get a composer who has uh, kind of the best of both worlds. Um, he has this Italian background and this American appeal, and um, he is so phenomenally um, talented and gifted as a musician that uh, when presented with this this movie that just is kind of caught between these two worlds and not too sure what it wants to be, he really pulls through with some pretty amazing stuff. Um, the score itself is orchestrated for a symphony orchestra, um, and it's very old school in the way that he's orchestrated it. Um, most people, when you listen to this, aren't going to be used to um, how he uses his brass and how much brass he has, has in there. Um, the percussive elements of uh, like a, a marimba, uh, things like that, how he's doubling his um, string ostinatos with a piano. It's really old school stuff. I mean, this is going back to uh, uh, composers like Stravinsky and the neoclassical movement. So when you kind of take this within its context and look at it, uh, it's, it's phenomenal. Um, it, the scoring is and sounds very Bernard Herrmann-like. Um, of course, you know, because after Bernard Herrmann hit the uh, uh, film composing world, he pretty much changed everything and became the standard, especially for um, this type of movie. What they went for is a, a feeling and a sound that's much older than, than the movie is to kind of go for a classic Hollywood sound. And it kind of taps into elements of Manfredini or John Williams or especially, you know, the Bernard Herrmann. What we have here is he's actually tapping into full-on thematic and motivic composing. The album itself, if, if you listen to it or buy it, which is well worth looking into. It's absolutely amazing. And by God, I would love to see a symphony orchestra actually perform uh, the score from beginning to end. It would, God, that would be amazing. Um, but it begins with a song that he wrote, uh, Woman Sings, and it's a much more contemporary song called Ruby Rain, and it's pure shit. However, um, in the vocal line, the, uh, there's the introduction of the uh, main theme, the Ruby Rain theme. Throughout the movie, that theme is used for uh, Aja. God bless you, Aja's boobies. God bless you to hell. And he reuses that theme throughout. Uh, there is the core, you know, many of those core elements that Argento, uh, that he uh, introduces in his movies that are definitely there. There's the element of kind of the childlike character, you know, and um, the, the themes also then uh, come out in, in the music where you have kind of childlike themes, uh, even in just the, the main title when it begins. Um, but what he's really pushing here, what he's really going for with this music, it's really percussive elements. Um, he's using very Jer uh, Jerry Goldsmith styles in his, uh, his music. Uh, one thing that's absolutely phenomenal that I love that he does here is he has the violinist um, in quite a few places play up too high on the uh, fingerboard. They're actually playing up so high and they're not matching intonation with each other. So you get this really awkward, eerie, out-of-tune, very high, shrill violin sound that's just absolutely perfect for the movie. Um, he's using these chord clusters that are really dense and stabbing. Um, it's a lot like the uh, psycho-stabbing scene uh, a lot of times in here. Um, however, there actually is a moment in the movie, uh, the whole suicide moment, um, where there's a big shift in the music that you're going to notice. And in fact, if you only listen to the music, dear God, you would swear you were listening to Friday the 13th. 
Um, the way he approaches scoring uh, Donaggio and the way that Manfredini approached it is very, very similar. And you can see these kind of overlapping elements. And it's, it's really a, you know, a tribute to the fact that both of them are just so phenomenally talented. And they're really bringing out these elements uh, you know, of like the knife and the stabbing and the, the violence. Uh, they're finding ways to exhibit that in the music. Um, Donaggio, you know, has done some phenomenal work and given us some absolutely amazing scores. Uh, he worked on Bucket of Blood, uh, The Howling, Carrie, Barbarians, which, good God, those are the hottest twins I've ever seen. Uh, screw Double Mint Wrigley's bitches. That, that's fucking weak. The Barbarians, that's where the shit is. Uh, he did the original Piranha. Uh, in fact, he did Hercules back in the days. He's uh, most known for working with Brian De Palma. Uh, so he, you know, sides with this more darker kind of tonalities. His approach to scoring is is just incredibly well done. Um, when you listen to this score especially, the story itself and the score really balance these uh, two elements. You know, uh, obviously our main our main characters and kind of this love and this uh, weakness and softness. And on the other hand, you have this killer and this brutality and, you know, this just evil, uh, primitive kind of um, element to the story. And so within the music, uh, you're going to see that come out with a very traditional um, kind of slow and beautiful, you know, keyboards, stuff like that, and very long held out uh, major chords for kind of this love and kind of this softness and, uh, for Aja. You know, and it's it's really neat uh, to see how he plays with that and uses the uh, Ruby Rain uh, motive that uh, uh, he'll introduce that throughout. And uh, it's it's really neat to see that come out if you kind of follow that stuff. On the other hand, he doesn't stick with just one theme for the killer, uh, for the killings and all that stuff. Um, he kind of moves it around and keeps it very percussive, very um, unpredictable. Uh, jumping around from each time, each each death, he really keeps it different each time. But he always tries to stick around with this um, kind of idea of a half step theme, uh, just half steps going back and forth, like da 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 da. That's awesome. I'm glad I just did that. He really does that to uh, push that kind of percussive element and really give that unease. And a lot of times he'll he'll stay on that for a really long time. But he does such a good job at balancing these two. He even introduces um, his brass and kind of these horn elements that are, you know, old school detective-like. It works perfectly um, in the context of, of the film. Um, in fact, I actually think that this is one of those scores that works better outside of the movie um, when listened to alone. There's so much to it that you're not going to catch in the movie. Um, and the movie itself, I think, is kind of caught in this limbo and doesn't know where it needs to be, but the music is solid and it's really rooted in the story and just phenomenal. So uh, even if you're not a fan of the movie or if you're never going to see the movie, which you should, it's it's definitely worth seeing, um, you know, knowing what it is and, and what it was trying to be. Regardless, this uh, score is absolutely worth uh, picking up and listening to, you know, and really seeing what uh, Donaggio's uh, talent, you know, how he was really playing with these different elements in a story. It's, it's phenomenal um, film scoring. Did I mention Aja's boobs? I'm not sure if I, did I mention that? Another thing I will point out actually is um, the whole dream sequence part. There is really no, uh, 
reference visually or through the story to the Middle Eastern elements. However, you'll notice that's what comes out in the score is this very uh, Phrygian or a pentatonic kind of uh, music that's very rooted in Middle Eastern culture. And you'll notice it makes perfect sense that it comes out. It's kind of tied in with that whole idea of like the opium dens and stuff like that. It uh, it works excellent. It's actually a really cool thing. Uh, directed by Dario Argento. It was written by Franco Farini, uh, Gianni Romoli, who actually was uh, also wrote uh, another favorite of mine, uh, Della Morte, Della Morte, or Cemetery Man. You seen that? Yeah, I have. Oh, I like that movie a lot. And then Argento actually also helped uh, write this. Uh, the music was by, uh, you know, I shouldn't even say that because uh, because uh, uh, Ferguson's doing his whole thing, you know. But uh, I, I, the music, I want to bring up the music because it was it was it was a lot different in this movie than it was in the other two that we watched for this episode. I absolutely did not like the music in this. Oh, dude, didn't it seem like Friday the Thirteenth at parts? It, 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 ah, ah, well, there were scenes where it, psycho, it, it did not fit. Like in the in the final scene of the movie, it seemed like almost like circus music. Oh, uh, dude, I'm with you on that. I, was I just, you know, I uh, didn't, I didn't hate it, but it was definitely different, and it didn't, it was, it didn't seem that original. But maybe I'm just being an a hole. Well, you know what sucks about it too is that Argento wanted Claudio Simonetti and Goblin to do it, but the producers wanted an American sound, and I'm like. Yeah. Well, that that's because this was his first American-made movie, right? And the first one that he shot in America, which is so stupid that here's a guy who has a track record like Argento has. At that point, too. Especially at 93, yeah. And they totally screw with him. And did you know that this is, like, seriously, one of the worst experiences he's ever had, and that's why he's never done another American film? Well, why would you? I, I wouldn't mean, either. Why, I, it's like, here, here he is, he's... he's totally been doing movies through his own vision you know he's he's been doing everything his own way he's been very successful at it and then all of a sudden some jerk off uh you know american studio guy thinks they know better in a suit yeah he's like oh yeah you need this because it's not going to appeal to americans shut your face and get back to your desk it's like bs dude i mean no offense but (sighs) never mind you know i don't need a vent i don't need to hate hey it's bullshit because you know what, I'm sure that man has has uh, a kid and family, and um, it tortures animals in his basement because he hates himself and loathes his life, and he's just a very terrible person. So you know, we ought to feel sorry for him. Yeah, I came to that conclusion <laughs> through logic. Okay, I wasn't just throwing shit out there. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, one good thing about this is Tom Savini did the special makeup effects. Which I, which I don't know. In my opinion, there were some, there were some really good ones. There, there were some good ones, and but this movie as a whole was kind of sloppy. Dude, you, you already hate this movie. No, 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 I don't hate it. It's already oh, okay. No, I, I don't hate this movie. I, I actually like it quite a bit. I just, I feel it's a very sloppy Argento movie, and I think it's because of the American production. Like, you know, and it very well could be because it, if it seems sloppy, it's probably because it doesn't seem like a, a how. Argento does it, and it's probably not his fault. But I don't know. I'm not saying that definitively. I just don't know. No, some of the stuff, like like Savini actually designed that killing thing where it would cut off their head. The, the garrot? Yeah. And, that, I mean, like, the special effects were good, but there were a couple scenes where I was a little bit just, I mean, they could have taken it in a different direction, but mm-hmm. it didn't, like, take me out of it at all. Hmm. Well, okay. Let's, let's, um, let's remember, though, that, uh, I don't know. I here, here's here's my problem with with what you're saying. 
I actually really like this movie. Uh, but at the, at the same time, I can totally see where you're coming from, and I can totally see what you're saying. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, didn't this film still seem to you to be foreign or Argento-esque, even though all the all these cards were stacked against it? I, I think somewhat. I mean, I, I don't know. I could definitely tell that it was him, but it just a lot of things felt different for me. Okay. Well, and, it, and there was a different feeling, but I, I mostly attributed that to the music. Yeah, I mean, that, that probably had a huge part because I thought, like, uh, Piper Laurie did an awesome job, you know, with her oh, she, she Italian accent. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, um, you, is it just me or does she kind of look like Daria Nicolodi? Yeah, and you know what? It's funny because after watching this this time, I kind of thought, you know, this is after they got divorced and stuff. And, yeah. I, and I almost wonder if that was modeled after her. And I thought the same thing, and that's weird. And I, I thought that because of, uh, um, because of it, it, apparently, it, it, it seems like Argento, and we're getting off, I'm getting off on a tangent here, but it seems like Argento has either hang-ups or, not necessarily hang-ups, but he has like a real obsession with certain things. One being Daria Nicolodi, in my opinion. Because, I mean, obviously she's in most of his movies. She, you know, in, in uh, I think, what was it? She They met in Deep Red, I think it was? Or yep. Not, I don't know if they met, but that's when they kind of got uh, started their relationship or whatever. You know, and, and it seems like he really went out of his way to to make her, um, I don't know. I, there's just something about her in these movies that you can kind of tell. Uh, I think Argento took a special hand to. Do you Am I being stupid? or No, no, mean? no. And you can see that because you can see where her characters in the beginning of the relationship, where they're stronger women and better, you know, better characters. And right. then toward the end, you know, they're just these these shallow characters that just get thrown in to be, you know, knocked down. You know what's even more disturbing than that is the fact that uh, that um, his daughter, Asia, is in a lot of his movies. And in a lot of his movies, she is put through somewhat sketchy scenes. Oh, yeah. Scenes of rape and nudity and all sorts of weird stuff like that. She was 16 when she did this movie. She was... No, she she said she was 16. No, she, no, she was. No, yeah. she was. No, because she was born in 75. And in... Uh, she was born in 75. And then this was... Oh, maybe when she was filming it. I'm pretty sure thought, she was 16 or you 17. You may be right. You may be right. But, but it's weird because you saw her chest. Yes. You saw her chesticles. Which is weird, but you know what's funny is I, is I was watching the um, uh, the uh, an eye for horror by Argento. Here's a here's an excerpt from uh, a quote from her in it. Um, he said he never killed me once um, in any of oh, and this is just he, she's talking about in any of the movies that she was in that he directed. But he had me raped a few times. He she goes on to say it's pretty bizarre if you think about it. I sincerely don't want to think about it because I'm scared that I'm going to reveal something that's better to be kept like this and kind of kept you know hidden and you know not talked about. That's that's a little bit creepy, dude. But what it really is, I mean, hey, have you seen the Stendhal syndrome? No, I have not, and that's what that's what you're saying. You yeah, I mean, pretty it's brutal. A, it's about two hours and like ten minutes long, and I would say it's about an hour worth of her getting the hell raped out of her. Yuck. Yeah, so I mean, it's definitely one of those things where it's uncomfortable to watch, but you're the dad filming it. It's got to be a little weirder. Well, and it's funny because even in the he even said that oh, you know, Asia became a you know at a young age she became a um, a colleague you know in in something in, in a friend. It's like oh, 
That's weird. I mean, even though it's, I guess it's good to be friends with your parents. It's just strange to me that, uh, regardless of how, you know, well, he, uh, collegial or whatever the word is that they became, it's like holy crap. I think he said she became a pal and a confidant, and thank you for being a friend. <laughs> <laughs> you have to, people have to drink every time when there's a Golden Girls reference too. <laughs> Oh, that is sweet action. Anyway, that's, I thought that whole thing was weird because kind of putting putting it all together and seeing a little bit more films. Because I've seen a lot of his films. I haven't seen them all, and, I, and I'm still going to. Um, so going to watch some of these because, I mean, we have a week off, you know, and I'll probably throw a couple in, uh, especially uh, uh, the Stendhal Syndrome. Okay, I'm just teasing. <laughs> but anyway, uh, let's get back to the thing. Sorry I got off on such a tangent. Uh, Christopher Rydell played David Parsons. Um, Asia Argento played Ara Petrescu, Piper Laurie played Adrian Adriana Petrescu, and Laura Johnson played Grace Harrington, and uh, Grace was uh, David's girlfriend. Uh, basically, the plot, uh, you know, and, and the funny thing is, this kind of threw me for a loop because in the, towards the beginning, I thought this was going to be a kick-ass supernatural thriller, um, you know, but it ended up being a giallo, and you know, that's not that's not bad, you know. I just, uh, you know, I, it, it takes a it, there, there are a shitload of giallos out there, and there are probably percentage-wise few that I like. However, most of the ones I like happen to be Argento. Oh yeah, if you're gonna watch a giallo, you can't, you really can't go wrong with Argento because even his stuff that's not the best is still good. You know, and I've probably seen a handful, five or six giallos that, that weren't um, uh, Argento. And I've only liked one of them, really. And that was, uh, oh my gosh, we, we reviewed it on our Giallo episode. It was that the girl was in it that was in um, Spit on Your I Spit on Your Grave. Oh, Camille Caton? Yeah, she was in it. And uh, I can't remember exactly what it was called. I can't uh, either. Whatever Happened to Solange. Oh, yeah. That, that's what it was. But anyways, that was a good flick. Um, anyway, but uh, like I said, the movie starts out um, basically, uh, actually, I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh what what happens is Asia plays Ara is kind of a, a, a twisted girl. She's kind of uh, uh, she she's go, she has anorexia. She's going through she has suicidal thoughts and she has all sorts of mental issues. Um, and she actually was institutionalized, uh, but she escaped. And uh, our hero David is actually driving along the uh, the interstate over a bridge and uh, checks and sees her about to jump off into the river, killing herself. But he stops and, and helps her out and actually tries to take her to go get something to eat. Um, but she is, she actually just takes off and a couple of cops, I guess, social workers take her back to her home where her mother puts her in a timeout in her room, in essence. Uh, well, basically, her mother is played by Piper Laurie, is some kind of psychic, and apparently that night she was putting, she was having the group over for a seance. Um, she was communing with a person named Nicholas, um, but uh, all of a sudden, all this weird shit starts hitting the fan. And this scene was actually really cool to me, because I mean, it, it's your it's your typical kind of. It, it it reminded me a little bit of the seance scene in. Um, um, gay, uh, City of the Living Dead, 
but it, it seemed to, to to be put together a little bit better. But it had that really creepy atmosphere to it. And not only that, but there as she, as, uh, she was communing with the person, talking to the person on the other side, there was this weird, strange voice that was kind of. Uh, uh, you know, doubling up. She it was saying the exact same thing she said, but just in a different creepy voice. Oh, it was it was very creepy. She would say like, "I am here," and be like, "I am here." Yeah, <laughs> you know, it was. Here. And, and, well, and it was and it, and it was really cool when it was like, uh, she she says something to the effect of, "And the killer is present." Yeah, and, the, and, and then the 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 freaking voice kind of goes crazy. It was it was pretty creepy. That was a really great scene. Um, but anyway, the shit hits a fan. She, she, her, everybody's, uh, freaking out, panicking. The power goes out. Um, she goes running and her father goes running and uh, her husband, Azia's father goes running out after her. And uh, of course, Azia runs out to see what's going on. And, uh, she sees the, she sees that, uh, her, uh, parents have both been decapitated. <laughs> So um, basically, she runs away again, and she hooks up with David. Well, she finds David. Uh, she tracks him. Uh, or, I'm sorry. Uh, David is like she. She says, "Hey, you know, I, I just I need some help, whatever." And he offers a place to stay and some food and stuff like that. Um, he, I, I think David. It's one thing I didn't mention is that he he kind of has a soft heart for for people like this because apparently he was once a, he saw the track marks on on. Um, Ara's arms, and he's like, "Yeah, I, I was there once. I can't remember exactly what he said, but uh, so he takes her over. He, uh, she starts staying at his place, um, and uh, basically, what happens is they try to start figuring out together who uh, killed her parents. At the same time, trying to kind of keep her out of trouble with the with you know with the people who are trying to find her because uh, you know there's a bunch of people who are you know the the social worker, the doctor, the doctor that uh, you know used to uh, treat her back when she was at the institution. Um, anyways, David's an art director for a local news station, um, and his girlfriend is a what was she like? Just like a like a news anchor or something? Yeah, like I think that? she was the the main anchor. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, um, it's funny because he, he actually also worked with a guy who seemed to know everything about, um, anorexic, like the stats of anorexic women in America. One in every four girls in America are anorexic and they always have dreams of, that their dad are leaning over them and blah, 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 which uh, I assume is utter bullshit because if it's not, it's weird. I think that's something that Argento made up to be perverted and weird like he usually is, uh, <laughs> Plus the scene where she has the dream where her father's uh, uh, leaning over her. He has way too big of a mustache to make it not creepy. <laughs> he looks like Super Mario. He totally does. And it, and you know that there's just shit floating around in there from like meals that happened two weeks ago. Uh, anyway, um, basically there's a scene where uh, his girlfriend comes over to his house. Um, she's, uh, she's in the house, but... Uh, David and his girlfriend start doing it. Uh, Ozia comes in. Or what's her name? I keep calling her Ozia. Ara comes in and finds it and stomps out of the house. Of course, he stops right then and there instead of being a sane man, finishing his job before he goes and looking out to her. Was that rude? I, oh, my gosh. You know, it's like he he basically didn't want the 30-year-old woman. He wanted the 16-year-old girl. Well, you know what? That is very creepy in and of itself. Yeah, because he was uh, very, like, that whole scene after that, he, like, seemed very, very, it, it, like, right when he finds her, they kiss. I mean. Oh, yeah, and it's like, and, she, and he knows how old she is. He She tells him how old she is, like, first off. You know, oh, what are you, 14, 15? I am 16! 
Okay, He's okay. like, oh, six, you can drive. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was thinking if, <laughs> if turf on the field, play ball. <laughs> Is that how it goes? Sorry. Yeah, grass on the field. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, basically, the, the, the the rest of the movie is they, they kind of got together. They tried to figure everything out. Um, you know, one thing leads to another, and eventually, you know, uh, the, the mystery kind of, you know, just like every other giallo in the world does, it kind of comes. But there's actually a lot of cool things that happen. Again, this isn't the most uh, deep of stories, but I think it had a lot of great set pieces and, and, and individual scenes in it. Uh, one thing that has to be mentioned is Johnny mentioned that the murder weapon it was awesome. Basically, what it was was this little handheld device that had a, what would you call like a wire, like a metal wire that, that came out from it and went back into it. So it, you know, kind of created a noose and it, it, it had a handle like a, an electric screwdriver or something. If you turned it on, the noose got tighter and tighter and eventually decapitated them. It, Okay, I already said decapitated, so I'll just say decapitated because you know it's only funny once. No, but but uh, anyway, so but that was a kick-ass weapon, and let's put it this way: that really helped. That that really, uh, I think that helped Tom Savini and his uh, and his effects thrive in this movie. With the the actual tool, yeah, yeah. Well, it's like the tool opened up so many great things. <laughs> yeah, it was really awesome. I mean, the. The uh, <laughs> there were there were some scenes where it just looked so painful because you could see it digging into the flesh. Yep. Oh yeah, and people would go to grab for it, and you can just kind of feel that that they were probably digging their own fingernails into their own neck, and uh, pretty gross. Oh yeah, pretty pretty pretty. Just I mean that's that's kind of a scary thing. Um, but uh, anyway, you have anything else for the story or anything like that? Uh, not really. Just other than um, the fact that. Several times during this movie, her doctor, Doctor Judd, tries to basically like take custody of her, kind of thing. Uh-huh. And that was uh, to me that was a little bit weird. I thought that whole that whole thing. You know, he was giving her this. Uh, he gave her that berry that was berry. what was it? It was a psychotropic drug uh-huh. to, to make her remember the killer and stuff. I mean, it was very weird because it was a little bit more extreme than any doctor should ever be with her patient. <laughs> Well, it, it was it was fairly obvious that he didn't have the purest intentions. That, that he was, I mean, a little bit out to abuse her, um, you know, to to come to whatever conclusion or to learn whatever he was trying to learn. You know, maybe not the most ethical doctor that there is. No, and and I think that was a cool that was a cool story because yeah. <laughs> that was where you saw all the weird stuff. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah, I mean, in in of course, Argento thrives with dream sequences and surreal setups, things like that. Yeah, you know, bizarre. So. The memory count on this was six. Six. Yes, uh, I think like two were Aja and the other four were the um, girlfriend. Yeah, the girlfriend. She was pretty hot. Yeah, she was cute. I mean, I wouldn't have got up and chased Aja. Well, no, I probably would have because I don't like blondes. What? I'm not a blonde guy. Oh, I'm blonde, but I don't like blonde women. You know, you're racist. Hey, I'm not saying that I would throw a blonde woman out of my bed. I'm just saying I don't like. That's what usually. you just said. Well, if Aja's in the room, <laughs> if I have to chase Aja Argento down, you love her, dude. You know what's funny is, nice. uh, you know what the first, uh, what not the first, but uh, a little while back, I saw the movie Triple X, and she was in it. Didn't she just look so greasy in that movie? I've never seen Triple X. Oh my gosh, she looks like totally. Well, uh, Land of the Dead, she looked greasy. Sick. Oh, it, that's the same type of look. Yeah, and I, I just, I don't like to, I don't, I don't go for that kind of thing. Well, she doesn't always look like that. No, no, no. I, I, what are you saying? Are you saying Italians are greasy? 
<laughs> yeah, that I am. Because not not because I'm being racist, because it's just true. Okay? <laughs> there are certain things that are true. Irish are drunk and Italians are greasy. When That's just all there is to it. They're yeah, they're plumbers with mustaches. <laughs> Giant mustaches. <laughs> Listen, it, it, it's it's not it's not profiling when it's true. Okay? <laughs> awesome. <laughs> uh, did you get a kick no, in the balls but... for this one? Um, let's see, I did. Um there was an actual scene shot from a butterfly's point of view. <laughs> what the shit? Uh, I don't know. That was probably a studio <laughs> thing saying, oh, can you do this? And he's like, oh, I guess so, because you're paying me. Yeah. I don't know. It was weird. And we we talked, I mean, that happened in a whole subplot that we didn't, that we haven't even gone over. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, but, but the thing is about these, these movies is it's like, you, you, you kind of have to leave a lot of stuff because, I mean, it's a mystery and you don't want to give everything away. I kind of feel this, the, the giallos and slashers kind of have the same, kind of have the same deal where it's like, you know, the storyline aren't like totally deep, so, you know, but it's, I mean, I'm not saying they're bad, but I'm, you know, it's just that you don't want to give anything away because if so, then potentially the whole movie's ruined. I think the, uh, the kids subplot was cool. I mean, we, we won't get into it, but I think that was, that was, it added some suspense. No, I totally agree with you. And I think one of the best scenes is when the kid snuck into the house next to our house where the killer was staying um, and, uh, you know, was checking out uh, some of the things in there. But I guess that's all. That's what we'll leave it to. Um, second kick in the balls, uh, David's girlfriend, who called the Faraday Clinic to take uh, Ozia back to the clinic because she was 16, suicidal, anorexic. That just, because da- that just made well, her a bitch. Well, well, and because David was getting romantic with her. Oh. You know, Actually, I, she, I take it back. He, David gets the kick in the balls for that. She totally junk blocked him. Well, she was she got all uh, she got all uh, jealous. Yeah, you know, mid coitus, he leaves. Yeah, I, there could have been a compromise. <laughs> <laughs> no, ladies, both of you stay. <laughs> Threesome. Yeah, I was going to say that's the compromise right there. I think if Aja were in this movie now, that probably would have happened. Sick. But, uh, what do you got? My kick in the balls goes to Dr. Judd just for that unhealthy obsession he had with that one patient. Yeah. It was, just, it was weird to me because he just seemed a little bit just too over-eager with her. Right. It well, just, and, it, and like creepily, like, like and inappropriately over-eager. You oh, know? yeah. And his intentions seemed so disturbing and wrong, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, did you learn anything from this? Um, let's see. I learned that, um, actually that Argento bought one outfit back in the sixties, uh, had leather gloves and a leather uh, outfit, uh, jacket. I mean, and, uh, he's actually been using that same outfit for every giallo he's ever done just to save, just to save on cash. Hey, that's a smart filmmaking technique. (laughs) And let's see, I got one more. Uh, What did I learn? Uh, kick-ass elevator shaft deaths are as badass as they would seem. <laughs> Brad Dourif. <Ooh! laughs> that's exactly how he screams, too. <laughs> no, that was, that was a great scene. And that's, that's probably one of, uh, that's probably my favorite scene in the whole movie. Because you know it's coming, and then you, it's, it was totally awesome. It was slow, then, too. I like that. It got, it got a little cheesy at one point when they, uh, you know, when they, when they put his real face in there. But it was funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I learned to never put anything around your neck if you're unsure of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What the crap? He's <laughs> like, and turn it on. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, I learned that every woman named Hilda is evil. That's true. That's actually true. That and Bertha. Yeah, that's a proven fact. Yeah. 
We've done scientific shit, people. According to a survey we made up for this. Yes. Um, uh, two two people were um, asked, and uh, it's unanimous. Exactly. And it was us. Uh, it was us. <laughs> um, and I learned finally where the phrase get some head came from. It came from this movie. <laughs> That's excellent. Wasn't the name the headhunter? The news uh, was giving him? The news was Yes. Uh-huh. That was awesome. Did you did you get any who else said that? Um, you know, I I forgot to do one. Let's see. What'd I, you get? I have just one. I had okay. two, but I can't I scratched the other one out, so it wasn't okay. very good. Um, come upstairs and call your parents. It's going to be okay. That was uh, Roman Polanski. <laughs> but, but then you should add the next line. But Roman, this phone is unplugged and it doesn't work. <laughs> brown chicken, brown cow. Brown chicken, brown cow. Sick. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's all I got for this. Um, Rating-wise, I would give this a buy. I, uh, yeah, I'd give it a buy, too. I mean, I don't think... Like, there were certain things in this movie that I caught and I just... I thought for Argento it was sloppy. Like there was a scene in the hospital when you know when he's going to rescue her, and it's a first-person angle with the camera, a first-person view, and you can actually see the shadow of the camera on the wall. Oh, really? I didn't notice. And I thought that's not Argento, man. That's not something you should see in his movies. Mm. It just it, it it felt very sloppy. So I mean, I give it a buy, but there were little things like that throughout the movie that I thought were were they just weren't up to par. But it's still, I mean, the movie's awesome. I mean, it's still a good Well, movie. I mean, the movie had Ozzy in it. It had Piper Laurie, who did a great job. Had Tom Savini special effects. You know, and there, you know, there were other, there were some other good things to it. And Brad But it, was, it wasn't outstanding. It had Luigi. It had boobs. <laughs> it did. It was good, man. <laughs> but uh, I think that's all I got for this one. All right. We'll be right back with Sleepless. Word. And we're back with Sleepless from 2001. Sleepless. Score composed by Goblin. This is the reformed Goblin. Um, they had broken up, kind of disbanded. Apparently they uh, had to go their separate ways for whatever reasons. And uh, really had done a lot of other stuff. For the most part, some of the other members stayed together and kept working. Claudio Simonetti, the keyboardist, though, kind of, uh, I think, prided himself as the leader of the group, uh, did not work with the others. For whatever reasons, this whole thing fell apart. Um, I think it was basically centered around uh, him and the rest of the guys. Um, nowadays, uh, they're all together, um, most of the other guys, not all of them. Um, and they're still under the name Goblin, and they're still playing a lot of the same music in fact and uh, but Simonetti is on his own now he's got his own band he's doing his own stuff uh, Demonia or something like that really actually good stuff but Simonetti continues to score films and do all that stuff 
Um, he really carries the torch, I think, after this whole thing, uh, after Goblin kind of disbanded and everything. He's really the one that uh, horror movie followers and um, have been following him, and he really kind of carries that torch, even though Goblin still plays the same shit that he plays now. Uh, he's really the one that uh, everybody uh, follows. So um, I had mentioned before, he was born in Brazil, studied in Rome at a conservatory. One thing that's really important, I think, to notice about uh, his style of scoring, uh, back when he was even in you know the early days with Goblin or by himself, but to especially notice is that it's all about pulse. It's all about rhythm. If you listen to any of their scores, so much of what they do is based around that rhythm. Um, whether they're using different time signatures, whether they're alter alternating around different rhythms, it's always about that pulse. And melodies and all that stuff have to be supported by it. When you hear a lot of other orchestral or even like Vangelis is a, is a great example. When you hear some of their stuff, uh, for instance, if you think of the Blade Runner score, there's big long moments of just held out chords of these synth notes with nothing underneath. That usually does not exist with Goblin, within the Goblin universe. Generally, they have to have some sort of pulse underneath. Even if there's nothing on top, it's all about the rhythm underneath. And that's what's also going to exist within this score. In fact, a phenomenal part of this score is on the train, uh, when there's the first stalking and that killing on the train. So Simonetti and the rest of these guys, um, Goblin as a whole, are all excellent musicians. And most importantly, they love film. And it's obvious. A great film composer has to love film and understand film first and foremost. What they're drawing from in their musical training is a lot of classical and a lot of these kind of contemporary avant-garde movements. Um, and they use these elements to establish the mood, uh, to develop these dynamics. A lot of odd meter and time signature stuff that, that's really moving around. When we think, if you look at uh, the, the moment on the train, that pulse is so driving. Um, the guitar, everything else that comes in is just really pounding away and he counters it. Um, they counter it with, with these bells in there. It's just excellent. Um, with this kind of pentatonic piano and bell piece. At the very beginning of the movie, um, the character uh, theme is established through the piano. This is something that does return throughout the movie. In fact, it's actually not so much identified with the killer or with uh, that whole side. It's actually... Um, attached to Max von Sydow's character and follows him throughout, uh, returns with him. Another element in this movie that's very Argento is he returns to all these core themes of uh, something with the killer's voice. And there's always this low voice or this breathiness. And that is something that Goblin always brings out in their scores. Uh, if you even think back to Phenomena or um, Suspiria, it's there. And it's just so great to have that back again with this movie. Um, they'll bring in a synth that has this very airy, uh, low throaty voice sound to it. Or else they'll actually have the performer, uh, one of the guys or a female vocalist, doing just kind of a ha. <sighs> it's an excellent thing. It always works. It's a great thing to put in scores, especially horror scores. It, it's not unlike uh, what Manfredini was doing with the Friday the 13th scores. It's just a great technique. Another really cool thing, um, when the killer takes the girl or, uh, earlier on in the movie, it's a cathedral organ. 
it's a really cool idea because we're obviously not dealing with, you know, vampires and uh, cathedrals and, uh, you know, uh, mountainous caverns. But this cathedral organ still gives you that primal feeling, uh, that vastness, that darkness. And in fact, at the end of the movie, when they're closing in on the killer's lair, if you will, the organ returns again. It's this idea of kind of connecting where this, uh, this evil lives, where it dwells, connecting that with this primal instinct that we have that we um, equate with uh, an organ. It's such a phenomenal way to score the movie. These guys really nail it. This movie was actually originally scored by a guy named Goran Bregovic, something like that. Um, he's pretty out there. He's kind of an eccentric guy. Um, he writes some pretty crazy stuff. Um, it good. It's really good stuff. You probably wouldn't recognize uh, most of this stuff if you've heard it. He did, however, do an excellent score for a movie called Queen Margot um, back in 94. Aja Argento was actually in that. Um, he did a piece, um, I believe it was called The Lullaby, uh, for that movie uh, on guitar. That's pretty phenomenal. It's it's an excellent piece. It's worth you know checking out on YouTube. You know, it's slow melodic. It's called Lullaby. So you know, if you don't like Lullaby and slow shit, then don't look it up. But otherwise, it's worth you know looking into. However, his um, score was reportedly very repetitive. He kind of went for, if you're uh, familiar at all with the score for um, Bram Stoker's Dracula, uh, the one with, you know, that hot piece of ass, Keanu Reeves, um, that score used the same technique where it was very repetitive. Um, in, it's the same idea where you have a pulse, but they get to that pulse by using motives, using things within the music that keep repeating over and over and over and cause you really uh, to tense up. Apparently, that's how this score was. Um, he would use these repetitive uh, patterns underneath and put a melody on top of it. It didn't work. Uh, Argento was not happy with it. The producers were not happy with it, whatever. So it was scrapped after he had scored the movie, and uh, this whole Goblin reunion happened. And let's be honest, it's, it's actually great that it worked out that way, because this really is a strong score. And this movie as a whole is a great return um, to Argento's form. All the key elements, the, all the core elements that Argento puts within his stories, uh, the childlike figure, um, you know, the, the way the killer works, the Freudian elements, all those things exist within this movie and are brought out through the score. It's just such a great return after he had kind of, you know, messed around with other things and, and done some of these other movies. It's so great to have it back this way and it's it works so well it's it's much stronger um when he works this way with kind of the dream elements and all that this is an excellent score um especially if you're you know a fan of argento or goblin um it's really worth getting if you can find a copy there are probably still some on the internet somewhere but good luck on that one buying a copy of it and you're all a bunch of bitches the budget for this movie is four million dollars and the imdb gives it a 6.2 this is written and directed by Dario Argento, and the plot synopsis, in Turin, 1983, Commissioner Moretti tells a young boy, I'll catch the killer of your mother if it takes me my whole life. In the same town, 17 years later, the murderer, who has been considered dead for many years, is back. He starts by killing two women, and from there it all starts up again. The young boy, Giacomo, is now an adult, and he and the retired Moretti 
decide to close the case forever. To do it, they must solve the killer's puzzles, though, which are a bunch of animal, basically paper animals, that are at every murder scene. Right. And that's basically a rough synopsis, but it starts off, the movie starts off, and you see there's a woman, and she's very, very skeezy. Like, you can tell she's a hooker. In fact, I thought she was a transvestite hooker until we got a little full frontal. Thing. Oh, a lot of boobs and bush. <laughs> but um, so she she's telling him, no, I won't do that. I won't do that. And then next thing you know, I mean, he's paying her and it looks like money did help with her decision. Yep. yep. <laughs> and he's like, well, I'm just, he just lays down like he's going to sleep and she gets dressed and she's like trying to be all cute with him. Like, well, I'll do it now. <laughs> and uh, as she's leaving, she hears him say something about. I've killed people, and I think he's sleeping at this point, and it's like him talking in his sleep. Mm-hmm. And she, I guess I, I, I it, it seemed like it, that. It, it was kind of a, it was kind of a strange um, back and forth between the two. So yeah, it was a little bit weird. But so she's walking out, and of course, when you hear someone say, "I've killed people," the first thing you do is trip over their chest of torture weapons, <laughs> yeah, like a little kit. Oh my god, it, the whole thing was like full of, and they were awesome looking. They were really cool. Totally. So she leaves and she takes, she drops her stuff and she picks up a file with it, which has basically got all the clippings and everything of all the people he's killed from years before. And they say stuff about the dwarf murders. And so she gets on a train. And while she's on the train, she calls her friend and she says, well, I have all this info about the dwarf murders and he's still alive and I know the guy who did it. Well, her friend's going to meet her at the train station and she hangs up with her. He calls her and he says... He's asking where she's at, and he's like, oh, I'm going to kill you, bitch, and all this stuff. Well, <laughs> make a long story short, this goes on for a few minutes, and uh, she gets her fingers cut off. And Oh, yes. Then it gets a lot worse from there, but um, he knocks out the guy who was, I guess, protecting her, who's just, just a guy on the train. Yep. So right after that, her friend comes on the train and grabs the uh, the same file that has all the information in it and goes to her car. And right when she gets to her car, he reaches in and... He slits her throat, right? Yeah. Um, I think so, if I remember correctly. The, the, this whole thing was a little bit weird because it's like all of a sudden he's sleeping and she runs onto a train. And all of a sudden the killer's on the train and, you know, and she stole this blue folder and, you know, and she's this and that. It, it was a whole bizarre deal. And I almost wonder if it was kind of set up and planned because the whole thing was kind of weird. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, I'm not going to give it the twist away, but. That's part of the twist is that you find out that there's a reason why there haven't been murders for a long time. Right. Um, so he comes back to town and he stay, he's staying with his friends and stuff. And he gets back in touch with Moretti. And Moretti isn't used to all the, the, you know, the technological things that they're using, like forensics and things for killers now. But he's going based off his you know, limited memory uh, because he was the head detective on the case. <clears throat> and I mean, it's Max von Sydow, which, by the way, I did not mention the cast. Let me go ahead and do that. This Max von Sydow as Moretti, Stefano Dionisi as Giacomo, Chiara uh, Caselli as Gloria, and Roberto Zabetti as Lorenzo. And, by the way, freaking leading man named Giacomo. Giacomo. He's <laughs> got balls. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So the whole time I was thinking, it's like whack a mole, but it's Giacomo because you're doing something <laughs> way worse to the mole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or better for the mole. Oh, yeah. Wow. It depends on your perspective. Excellent. But as the story goes on, they're starting to put clues together and a lot of things. And Giacomo kind of rekindles this relationship with uh, one of the girls he grew up with and his best friend who he grew up with. And and 
the it was it was really cool because they there was a pattern with this um with how the killer killed and things like that like he, he like the pig and the the different animals and he based mm-hmm. it off a poem and a story called Animal Farm not to be confused with the the it was it the um George Orwell uh, novel Orwell, yeah. it's the it was actually written by Aj Argento the nursery rhyme and the story but so the killer's got a theme, and he's he's doing this based on this on this nursery rhyme. There was a kill in this movie that I just oh my god! I the first time I saw it, I just thought like it just put this movie in the top tier for me. The the kill when he is smashing the woman's face against the wall repeatedly, and teeth are falling out, and you see the bloody yeah. gums. That has got to be one of the most brutal deaths i've ever seen in any damn movie ever well dude a lot of these kills were there was one where he was stabbing uh, a lady with a freaking uh what do you call that uh like english horn or whatever. oh yeah oh the mouth oh and, yeah was that right was now, pretty brutal stabbing, was, and, and not to mention the the one uh am i thinking of the right movie i th- no i'm i think that was oh shit see now i'm getting them all mixed up what was the one I, uh, never mind. This wasn't this one. This was opera. It's, I was bringing up the one where Daria Nicolota got shot through the. Oh, that was awesome. Shot though. through the. That was yeah. That was an opera. My yeah. bad. We didn't mention that. That was a cool shot though. It was through that whole people. Cool. Yep. But oh no, the scene where Giacomo, Giacomo, <laughs> <laughs> when Giacomo's mom is getting killed. Like the first few times you see it, yeah, it's like edited, and then once they show it later in the movie, you see the the horn going into her mouth repeatedly, and it is such a brutal, violent death. I mean, torture porn and shit like that has nothing on this kill. This kill was just no way. Well, and it was still quick, and it was brutal, and it, you know, they, you didn't sit there and. And it didn't like dwell unnecessarily on you know on whatever, but it was just quick and brutal, and it, it was just shocking. Yeah, I, it really was. And we should probably mention that the um, the original suspect of the of this murder was an author who wrote what well, he wrote children's books or something like that, right? He was a he was uh, a dwarf. Uh huh. And he used to hang around with the kids, and the kids made fun of him and teased him, right? And so they thought that right. he was the one that was the murderer during that time, and they called him the the dwarf murders um but but there's this whole thing about you know he's dead and then how do you know he's dead and that and that comes to light but i won't give that away either because that's kind of cool um mm-hmm. but it was really neat because you know the whole time you, you see it there are several scenes where you see a dwarf and there's several scenes where i mean it really this movie just it messes with your head and oh i just I, this is well seriously like that- i love this movie it's, no, and, and you know what the thing is, it does mess with you. He, it seems like he kind of goes back a little bit to the. Um, I mean, even let's put it this way: even though this came out in two thousand one, this could have been made in the eighties, except for uh, you know, except for the fact that uh, um, you know there were cell phones in, in newer technology. But don't you think? I mean, oh. a lot of the cinematography looked exactly the same as it did back in more, some more of his Dude, more classic films. You know what this movie reminded me of? And I, people probably be pissed at me for saying this. It really reminded me of Deep Red. There were several shots that Absolutely. were just like that or Tenebrae where it would like have the long musical cue and there would be the whole camera shot going around the house and through all, and all the, and that, that to me is just, it, it was like a return to form for Argento. And, well, it, and, and also one thing I was going to mention is the fact that, you know, the whole scene with the hooker and whatever, I think that was a throwback to, 
um, even more Suspiria and Inferno because of the deep, the deep red hues and blue, you know, in the dark and in kind of the slimy type of deal. Yeah, I could see and, that. And uh, you know, in in it, it just kind of really reminded me of classic Argento. And uh, one more thing about that scene, it's like the the scene I think was, in my opinion, was made a lot worse, is because you know you're saying, oh, I won't do those filthy things with you, and you know, here's this really skeezy woman telling someone else that she won't do something skeezy it just kind of creeped me out like what the crap was it and of course they don't tell you what it is and let your imagination go wild but uh, no i mean it was it was kind of these little touches and you know not only with the look and feel of the movie but maybe with some of the scenes um like that 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 uh, you know the way they handled it really did a great job with this i totally agree and especially with that scene with the hooker because we all learned from meatloaf that he will do anything for love, but he won't do that. And you always were like, what the freaking hell is he talking about? What? I will do anything for skeezy love with a <laughs> The only way, The only way that scene could have been made better is when she got on the train, if she were listening to some headphones and it was playing that. Because you were like, you, you would realize that she was on the exact same page as at the loaf. <laughs> the loaf. No, dude. No. You know what? In, in, I... I completely agree with you, but I don't know. Having said that, I do think that there were kind of uh, the, the same Argento type deal where maybe the the the, um, the details weren't as uh, um, put together as as solidly as they could have been. Um, you know, I mean, just like I said, how all of a sudden, uh, you know, the 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 killer in the beginning was on the train, uh, even though he fell asleep in the room with the hooker. Um, you know, there was, it, it, I, and like you were saying, each kill. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying. Well, I think once you get past things like that, though, I think it really. I, well, no, I, and, I, and and that's what I was going to say. I was going to mention a couple of these, and then I was going to say, but it, but it really, it doesn't really screw up the whole movie for you. Um, the only other one I really had a, pro- the only other thing that I had a problem with is the fact that basically in this in this Animal Farm poem, it talks about different animals, and it's kind of a macabre deal you know because i can't remember the exact poem but it just seems like why you know why is this a children's poem but i guess a lot of you know fairy tales and things like that are you know disturbing in and of themselves but anyway um there was every victim had some kind of an animal in the nursery like uh like they mentioned that the hooker was a pig because she was filthy or some crap um you know in the rabbit uh no sorry but then then there was one where there was a cat and it was a it was a uh um, you know, a dancer at a club that dressed up like a cat, and there was a, a swan, and that was one of the dancers in Swan Lake, uh, because uh, that's what uh, you know the the a play that was that was going on, like a, a ballet that was that was part of the of the story. Um, but the one that I didn't really like was was the one that you talked about. It ended up in a freaking awesome kill was the rabbit, because I mean she had buck teeth, but other than that, the only thing that really made her rabbit is she was walking out of like the restaurant she worked at at night. They said oh she's her friend said oh she's our silly little rabbit and that was it you know but and, and also in this movie I think maybe she had forced, 30 kids dude <laughs> or, or maybe she humped really quick yeah. exactly but but um in and the only other thing too is there were some they, they tried to start they, they threw all sorts of weird red herrings at you you know and you know i mean that's good but i, I kind of i don't know i kind of got a little tired of them but having said all that um, I basically, I just wanted to mention those things, uh, but only because it, it's, 
only as a counterpoint to the fact that I love this movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is seriously like people will say things all the time like, man, Argento just doesn't have it anymore. Well, you look at a movie like this. You look at a movie like Mother of Tears. He he does make good movies still. It's not that he doesn't. It's just. You know, and why do people hate Mother of Tears? Oh, my God, dude. People, I love that I, movie. I, I do, I too. Do. I love it. And I know people. I liked it. I love it. And a lot of people. I, I hear all the time people say it's like the worst piece of shit ever. I was like, wow. Uh, I, I mean, I, good thing I don't care what people say. Yeah, I don't hold it in my heart and dwell on it a lot. And it makes me want to cry. You know, good thing I don't do that. But no, for real. I don't understand it. I don't either. But um, that's pretty much all you can cover in this movie because it just, if you went too much further into it, I mean, there's a poisoning and uh, agree, yeah. and some things like that, but um, overall, I mean, you're oh no, a good flick. Oh yeah, it's, it's a good movie. Um, I the memory count in this was a five, and it was all the very beginning with uh, Tits McGee. Oh my, oh my gosh, she was so skeezy though. Okay. Dude, you can see her whole rib cage through her boobs. I know. What was up with that? Oh, she she was a, she was kind of scary. You have to admit. Oh yeah. I mean, I thought it was a dude until I saw the Ferb Herger. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to catch yourself Malk- pe- peeing in that butt. <laughs> but um, Ger- okay, I-, I thought that I thought that the the name for the pube wig was a gherkin, <laughs> but uh, but that's a type of pickle. Yeah, that's, so. yeah, I wouldn't eat a pickle Sorry. ever again if it were a pube wig. <laughs> anyway, um, th- one of the notes that I wrote about this, and I thought it since I first saw this movie, is the soundtrack kicks so much damn ass. And oh, Fer- Ferguson, I'm sure, talks about it, but my God, this this is one of my favorite Goblin soundtracks. Like, favorite. Absolutely. Um, I have a kick in the balls for this movie. Let's hear it. It is for the detective who keeps giving Max von Sydow's character of Moretti shit. Like, the whole movie. Like, <laughs> he's there not working. Like, he's just there, like, helping on his own time. And mm-hmm. the, the the detective guy is just treating him like crap, like... I just got this like vibe from him that he was just douching it up too much. <laughs> it's like the dude's like ninety and he's helping you guys. Be grateful, prick. Plus, yeah, he, he he it proved that he had insight that uh, no one else had. Exactly, and he proved that you know sometimes good old fashioned police work can be just as good as you know the new stuff. Oh man, he's he's not too old for this shit, right, Riggs? <laughs> That's right, Murtaugh. Sorry, okay. Maybe they needed a predator in this. <laughs> exactly. I got a kick in the balls. Let's hear it. Anybody who gets killed by a midget. <laughs> I mean, damn. He's a midget. I don't think anybody gets killed by a midget, though, do they? Well, what? I'm just kidding. There's a midget. Um, you uh, see a midget kill people in this. <laughs> I'm just saying. We can't. Oh, no, yeah. no. The reason I was correcting you wasn't because of any spoiler reason. I was correcting you because you're using the word midget, and that's not PC. Oh, oh. <laughs> and I and I was the one that blew it. Right? Oh snap! I'm just kidding. no. Um, uh, I, I learned a few things from this. Let's hear it. I learned that Italian women's fashion is sweet. Did you notice that like most women were never wearing bras, and if they were, you could they were wearing like a sheer shirt in front of it. Absolutely awesome. And uh, I also learned that Marco Polo sucks by yourself. <laughs> There's that scene where the guy's like Marco, Marco. Yeah, ex- you know, I, 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 oh man, I was gonna do, I was gonna use that same one. I didn't bring it up though. That's awesome because that was funny. Um, I, I learned one thing. Um, not only is it all right to racially profile or well size profile midgets in Rome, 
but it's hilarious. Oh, my gosh. Well, they send summons out to every midget in the city to show up at the police station. There's a whole room full of just these midget guys. And and the big joke of this, and, and here's and, and this is you know kind of the kind of the 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 silly music was playing, and the big joke was one mid that one midget claimed that he had an alibi because he was with his girlfriend. <laughs> no, and I was like, oh, oh, girlfriend, is it midgets have girl? <laughs> that was Come the on. joke. I thought the joke was that uh, they all look like Mario before he gets the mushroom. <laughs> 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 that too. I totally missed it. <laughs> um, I got who else said that. Okay. And this is another one that's going to go on our contest. Okay. I'm a bad boy. It's the, uh, the I'm a bad boy, but you got to say it like the character. I'm a bad boy. <laughs> so no emailing this one, people. Yeah. Um, that is Mike. And Mike, isn't that uh, what you say when you want some CBT? Um, he's not talking about me. He's talking about Mike in the Phantasm series. Oh. Let's get that straight. Oh, you're Let's right. Let's get that straight. I, okay? I totally got you. You and Michael Baldwin. I get you guys confused well, all the time. It's so confusing. I know. <laughs> you have that mane just like him from that first one. <laughs> uh, I only wish. Uh, let's see. I got one. Okay. Uh, let's see. Are you done, by the way? I'm a bad boy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you can do those disgusting things with someone else. That was actually Bill Clinton. Talking to Hillary when she wanted to try some of her native people's mating rituals. <laughs> you know, the, the Sasquatches. Oh, 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 man. She's gross. Rude. She's gross, man. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was my best Chewy. <laughs> yeah, she's Chewy. Um, Sick. I would give this movie, rating-wise, I would give it a bone sizzle. Bone saw. Really? Okay, because I... I love it. I... I thought this was a good movie. I'll give it a buy. I thought it was better than Trauma, but I I still thought Opera was was uh, in my opinion better than this movie. Well, I enjoyed it more. Let's just put it that way. I um, I just think I come back to this more often. Like, would you? You know, I don't know if I would. I just uh, like I said, there was a few things, and I, and I know I'm gonna get smacked in the face for saying that, but Max von Sydow in this was a little bit annoying because he had all those personal monologues with, "Oh, I'm old and yet I can still remember shit," and blah blah. I just like, oh, come on. He was no B. Arthur. No, he was no B. Arthur. And uh, Drink. So I was really sad when, uh, when uh, because every B. Arthur movie I've seen that Argento directed, she's seen her, she's shown her tits. So. Oh, yeah. That's what I was really hoping for. And her Ferb Herger. <laughs> her Ferb Herger. Oh, man. <laughs> it looked like a chinchilla. Anyway. Um, I got a six degrees. Do you? I have one, too. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, Max von Sydow was in Minority Report with uh, Neil McDonough, who was in Dark Man with Bruce Campbell. Oh, you beat me. Word. Do yours. Max von Sydow was in Needful Things with Amanda Plummer, who was in The Prophecy with Virginia Madsen, who was in The Haunting with Liam Neeson, who was in Dark Man with Bruce Campbell, playing the final shimp. Word. You know what, man? Amanda Plummer, I don't think she's ever played a normal person in any movie ever. I don't. I don't think she has the capacity. I think she's got something wrong with her. Or she's that good of an actress. I don't find her attractive in any way, Ooh, shape, or form. No, she's like she's like a wet rat. <laughs> like looking she at her. She does. Yes. Oh yeah, it's bad. Yeah, very bad. <laughs> Thanks, Rain Man. <laughs> That's all I got for this movie. I, I I really enjoy this, and it's one of those movies that was hard to find originally because it was out of print. But um, I hear they're bringing it back. I think Blue Underground's going to re-release it. So everybody, keep your eyes peeled for that because surely it'll have features. 
No, good movie. Um, also, uh, I think I think I'm gonna the next couple of days this weekend. I'm gonna I'm gonna watch uh, Finish Phenomenon. I was just I was telling Johnny that that uh, I it's like one of those movies I swear I've seen, but I keep seeing uh, like clips from it elsewhere that I have never seen. So I'll, I got to check that out again. And I also want to watch uh, um, the Stendhal Syndrome. <laughs> no, I, okay. I just wanted to throw that out one more time. I'm just gonna go ahead and put this out there for you. Just in Stendhal Syndrome, once you get about halfway through it, just picture Aja Argento with a Katie Lang haircut and bleach blonde. I don't know if I'd like that very much. Oh, it's bad. It's very bad. <laughs> awesome. Oh, it's so yeah. bad. She, I, I, good... I would not go near her with that hair. You wouldn't? It would take that hair to not go near her? Whatever, I think she's hot. She's pretty hot, dude. <laughs> <laughs> All right, dude, sorry. Sorry for that. <laughs> Anyhow, no, man, uh, these were great movies. These were fun to watch, even though I w- kind of wish we would have done not just not just some giallos, but, uh, you know, some other stuff. But I, like you said, if you have to watch giallos, watch them, uh, watch your gentles. Well, not if you have to, but if you're going to. Um, well, no, but, uh, I think if you pick a Argento, like if you pick any three movies, you're probably going to hit a giallo either way. No, absolutely. I don't know. I I. I Totally see. You know, these were good, though. Oh, I, yeah. I, I, just, I just, I was just hoping for a little Supernatural is all. Because I really love the Three Mothers trilogy. Oh, it's, you know. they're, those are great. You know, and, and these movies, even though I'd seen them, they're not like movies that I was like, oh, i got to watch that again. Like, I really had fun watching these again. No. Yeah, me too. So. Well, except for I'd never seen them. <laughs> <laughs> so next time you'll say that. So uh, thanks again, everybody, for uh, the voicemails. I'll throw out that number, 206-339-2730. 206-339-2730. We love the ones we're getting. And, oh, dude, they're they are freaking awesome. Also, let me mention one last thing I forgot to mention. Shane, who does the Ear Fear, is also doing uh, his own full-length podcast over at DiabloCast.com. And go over there. Would you call him, please? Come on. We love Shane. Hell yeah. And uh, if you're nice enough to him, he'll bring over uh, some uh, refried beans and uh, make you feel like you've never felt before. <laughs> oh, I don't know what that means. Uh, that, that's, he likes it better that way. Okay, <laughs> cool, man. Hey, you got anything else? No, that's all I got, man. Yeah, this I I had a good time doing this. Oh, one, it, was, this it was a blast. Good one. And next next episode, what did we decide that we're going to do a show on witches or uh, the 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 other black and white ones? What are we doing? Uh, what what do you think? I don't care. Let's do witches. Okay, witches. Let's do. We're gonna. We're gonna, you know because we don't talk a lot about witches except for the three witches uh, with Argento. So we're gonna we're gonna try to find some kick-ass movies. That'll be a cool change um, of pace too. Uh, yeah, it will. Um, except for we don't we haven't chosen the movies yet, but we will soon. But uh, anyway, all right, man. Thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, from the Cadaver Lab, we will see you. Cheers. <laughs>